Yeah, we on? We're going? Yeah, we're, we're here, baby. We're doing it. Our first our first back episode with an actual book and not just general topics. Yeah, Exciting. us just just being, uh, just sort of ruminating and, and then also uh, throwing the gauntlet down and uh, firing shots at people. That's right. No one, mm-hmm. you, you, you won't respond. Whoever, yeah, whoever. right. Yeah, you don't have the guts. You don't even. You don't have the guts. You don't have the guts to listen. respond. <laughs> Enough. You wouldn't even listen to be able to respond. <laughs> no, but, I, but I dare you to do it. But um, uh, I dare you. I double dog. Yeah. I triple dog dare you. Yeah. But on the real, if anyone wants to come on the show, you're more than welcome. Yeah. We can have. A, we can either talk about a book or talk about other you. topics. You. <laughs> Why we don't like you or do, depending on who right. you are. But as as we've established before, this is, you know, first and foremost. Or at least uh, co-equal with the other tasks. This is entertainment. That's right. Therefore, it's content. Therefore, uh, even if we throw the gauntlets down or whatever, you're still welcome to come on. And we love you. And we also love you and are in love with you. <laughs> and we'll be want to be your friends. Yeah. Yeah. We contain multiple. It's real too. Yeah, it's real super hate. Real. But not. But it's not. But it's fake. fake. It's for the people. Yeah. yeah. Or is yeah. it? Uh, is podcasting podcast beefs are just professional wrestling dude i've been watching (laughs) like like it's true like i've been watching like you ever get into the twitch twitch beef oh man i was i I was i spent about four hours today watching videos about twitch uh chess drama i mean it's just it's so involuted and insane because because i today i was actually like the protagonist of our novel for today was preparing for a party that we're having tomorrow. And in which ooh. chess features prominently? No, I just had it on in the background. I was just watching. It. <laughs> okay. And okay. As I was as I was, you know, cooking. And if you hear my wife in the kitchen, she's continuing the preparations. So we Is it we're, going down wow. today? We are no, it's what? The party? Is it going down tonight? No, 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 tomorrow. Tomorrow. That's so fun. It's so thematic. We're basically I love that. we I we are basically Mrs. Dalloway and Mr. Dalloway. That's right. The are book. you hosting the party? We are. Really? Yeah. So you got to do all the food, and you got to buy, you have to buy the flowers too. No flowers. No, we're not buying flowers. We're not, so not exactly well, like that. We, we don't have yeah, a butler that announces everybody when they come in, and the prime minister is not coming, <laughs> as far as I know. <laughs> the prime minister of Iowa is not going to be in attendance. Yeah. Wait. Oh, wait. Was it of Iowa. Ireland? Iowa. Oh, Iowa. I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, I'm pretty sure this book takes place in England. They talk about Big Ben. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just like, London. oh, shit. I was really seeing a different <laughs> scenario in my head this whole time. Yeah, the world-famous London, Ireland. <laughs> Dude, there's Rome, New York. It's fine. That's you know true. what I mean? It's just Naples, there's, Florida. There's Sparta, Georgia. Yeah. yeah. We just Rome, took a lot of cool names from yeah. better places. Yeah, all of the good names in the United States are from other countries. All the original names we have suck ass. It's true. Like, but all the good names we stole are for bad places for the most part. That's I feel true. Like. That's true. It's a like, cover up. Like uh, South Dakota? Are you making fun of no, the no, Dakota not tribes? The, not the, no, no, no. Not the state names. I mean, most of those cities and towns. Like Syracuse. Syracuse is not ours. Yeah. I mean, like, we just, I mean, like, just driving through, there's just. What, what was the name of that place in Georgia that we used to drive by every time that it cracked me up every time? It was literally called, like, Mud mud Hole or something. It was just, like, something. <laughs> that like, sounds so. awesome, though. I mean, I know. We but saw that there's, place there's like, town. Like Tomville. Tomville. Very very lazy names. Smithtown. It's just whoever got yeah. there first just named it. 
Yeah. Yeah. There's a place in, there's a, my favorite, one of my favorite names is there's a place in, what'd you say? Oh, not first. I'm sorry. You're right. Not first. Obviously first uh-huh. white colonists. Um, <laughs> but, um, got you. Yeah. It got me good. Um, there was a place in Texas that I always loved to crack me up. It was a town in Texas. It was just named earth. <laughs> they were just like no one thought of this yet it was like yeah. very late to the game yeah, exactly. like what's not it's like a password that's not taken you're like okay finally i guess i could be you know earth 420 texas i can't wait until there's just town names just just like dr pepper fan 727 yeah that would be sick town 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 auto generated string of numbers every other letter is capitalized <laughs> yeah. that's gonna happen dude that's my least Falcon, favorite that's is what, uh, when like city planners just you, they obviously just name streets after like their daughters. This is like Becky Lane. <laughs> fuck, <laughs> fuck you. Fuck you and your money. It's better than uh, <laughs> better than Confederate generals though. Yeah. True. It's like a step up, but it's kind of like to the side. It's like up yeah, and to the right. Yeah, it's yeah. a lateral move. It's, it's right. <laughs> yeah. What was that town we saw? It was Voluntown. Vol. It's like you can be here if you want it. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, that sounds like that sounds like like an indie like Animal Crossing ripoff game. Fallen <laughs> Town, Like you volunteer to be there, and you have to volunteer to do odd jobs around with the other villagers. Uh, anyway, anyway, anyway. okay. As as we mentioned, we're discussing the book Mrs. Dalloway by Virginia Woolf. Yes. Um, this starring is Gabriel's Robin starring Robin Williams. <laughs> starring Robin Williams. <laughs> just trying, just trying to get his damn kids back. That's right. In his life that's right. Until they see Takes his penis place. and figure it out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that movie probably could that's not a deleted be made scene. Today, could it? Uh, probably not. I can't. I haven't seen it. I, even as a kid, I thought it was like a little disturbing. Yeah. How mm-hmm. I I I do need to rewatch because now I'm curious. Like how. How problematic is Mrs. Doubtfire? Probably a lot. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. We my should brother do a Zoom, watched, My uh, brother was just Patreon only where we watch it. That's actually for a great audience. idea. My brother was here <laughs> recently, and we visiting, and we one night we were we got drunk and we're just watching '90s pop punk bands music videos and rating how problematic the lyrics were. What and was the worst you got? The well, I mean, the worst is like Taking Back Sunday and Brand New, and those are very bad. Those are literally just like I'm gonna come to your house and kill you, like every fucking song. <laughs> <laughs> I never really thought about it. But. It's it, go, dude. Watch some of the lyric videos. It's terrible, and of course, a lot of those guys. I don't think Taking Back Sunday that I know, but Brand New certainly. Some of those, of course, a lot of them turned out to be groomers and sexual predators, and duh. Yeah, yeah. Um, pop punk was yeah. Was, rife with that but there were a few that surprised us that were basically totally wholesome self-reflective self-crit mm-hmm. if you will newfound glory checks out still something nice. something corporate shockingly checks out basically and uh lincoln park we do not listen to lincoln park no <laughs> no they clearly were that- troubled well, yeah. actually, I think they made a point to never swear in any of their songs. I think that was like a big thing of theirs. Is that true? Really? I think so. Also, until they Ch- like, until they did like, uh, like solo stuff or like branched out on other songs. I'm pretty sure that that's the thing. 
And I think Chester Bennington wasn't he like uh, the son or nephew of a of a, another famous musician I don't from know. a generation prior as well. I'm gonna look up that That's important awesome. information. But ba- really quick. So, so you're saying basically Lincoln Park was the Seinfeld of new metal. How so? Yes. Just like no swearing, just no, just wholesome, <laughs> yeah, just no swearing, right. no mean yeah. jokes. Your jokes should be able to stand up on themselves yeah, without man. shock value. That's right. That's right. It's like, all right, Jerry, why don't you marry a seventeen-year-old again? <laughs> Did he? Is that true? That's on his wife, true. like yeah, crazy definitely. younger than him. It was a it was a Woody Allen situation. Not quite Woody. Wow. Allen. Woody Allen's even not creepier, quite. but yeah, a, yeah. Not gonna say the connection between those two people, but <laughs> all right. Let's see what we got going on here with Chester Bennington. I don't know. Anyway, sorry. Let's not. Yeah. I don't want to get. I don't want to get bogged down. Yeah. Yeah. I really am excited to talk about Mrs. Dalloway. Yes. Yes. So. And, yeah, take us away, Gabriel. Well, okay. So this was my choice, and um, I wanted to. I wanted to read it for a couple reasons. One, because I had never read this book, which I know is sort of, you know, it's it's one of those, you know, um, kind of uh, what's the term I'm looking for? You know, seminal texts. Very kind of English lit degree. You got to read it. It's like, you know, one of the kind of high watermarks of modernism, which we can talk about. Matt, you probably know more about the definition of that term in this context than I do. Yeah. And, um, <clears throat> the, and and I just felt that it was something that I should probably read in my life and thought this was a good way to do it. The other reason I wanted to read it is because Cliff, Better Than Food Book Reviews on YouTube, re- did, a, did a video on to the lighthouse and it was dog shit and i wanted to produce some better content about virginia wolf hopefully so those were have you read the lighthouse no but i haven't i bought i bought it it was funny i was drunk and i was watching that video you know and i was so (laughs) mad because it was terrible and i just protest bought like five virginia wolf books that night because cliff's video was so bad yeah that's right owned Oh, I bought some books on Amazon, Cliff. He somehow gotcha. sees your sales, and he's just like, my work here is done. Right. And there's a little whimsical twinkle in That's his right. eye. Yeah, but of course I'm like, you know, I'm like drunk, and I'm just like, the yeah, fucking the owned Cliff. <laughs> I owned him. I did read uh, To the Lighthouse back in college, um, which is, uh, aside from A Room of One's Own, is the only uh, thing that I read of hers. I did read that. I forgot about that. Um, which I love. I loved it. I haven't um, read. Yeah. You know, I, I think the problem with uh, that was also that Cliff's review was uh, pretty negative, um, and and the and the the overriding critique was that she was too depressing. Yeah, literally. Which that is was his, that was his claim. Literally, his, like, literally, Cliff's review of the book was basically like Virginia Woolf needs to smile more. Yeah, oh yeah, it was. It, yes, it was fucking absolutely that. And then he's like, "Well, Beck's wow. so good." <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, yeah. so th- those are the reasons that I that I you know wanted to read this, and so here we are. Um, and uh, yeah, I, we can plot wise, it's it's a little difficult to describe, I guess, but it's it, it's simple, but also difficult, right? Because the book is not a plot. I wouldn't say it's a plot-driven book. It's a no. sort of character slash interior monologue slash you know human kind of existentialist terror and and relationship-based book. It it all takes place in one day. Uh, in I, I forget the date, Paul. You said it. Or I already forgot. 
Uh, it was June 1923. When yeah, I yeah. Day. Okay. June 1923 in London. And it follows the main character, Clarissa Dalloway, who's a mid-50s. I forget exactly how old she is. You know, early to mid-50s sort of London socialite. She's married to a sort of minor uh, politician, um, but still very well off. And she's prepping for a party that she's having that night. And it sort of follows her and then a, a sort of array of secondary characters about their days um, uh, in London and kind of their interactions and the ways their paths cross and their intersecting histories um, and their interior sort of lives. Um, and uh, that's basically it. Yeah, it's just it's and uh, I know like, you know, in uh into the lighthouse she kind of carries this exercise forward as well where there's this kind of um time is uh, is not just happening you know linearly there's there's dilation and contraction of people's experience of time and then uh once again in that book to the lighthouse you're kind of jumping into the the subjectivity you know like the the minds of, of various characters um and creating you know the, the the kind of psychic interrelation that is informed by each other but distinct from each other, which is like I feel like the really cool quality of this book too. The the uh, the metaphorical spider's thread that that she uses as a metaphor uh, a number of times. In the yes, book. It connects yeah, yeah, people. yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is funny because you know I was thinking of Indra's nets, right? Like the uh, the fact that she just like every everything is sort of a potentially a story and she even like just jumps into yes. the brains of some like super minor passers-by and stuff and it's like that idea of like everything is reflected in everything else and then woven together which is i, feel like I was a trying to think of like uh what have we read any other book that follows a similar way of presenting the novel like the the writing style i was trying to think i mean i know that there's something out there but i couldn't think of one or like a movie too I mean, certainly not. I don't think anything that we've read on the pod, like also just notably, just stylistically, right? This is this is essentially just a block of text, right? There's no um, there's no chapter breaks. There's a few kind of like section breaks where there's yeah. a, a gap. There obviously there's paragraphs and stuff, but it's very kind of um, densely kind of constructed in terms of the way it's presented. Um, it's not it's not like neatly carved up. Um, I don't know. I, no. I, I, I'm trying to think of the closest comparison in terms of other stuff we've talked about on the show, but I can't. I can't really think of anything off the top of my head. On our list, I don't. I don't think so. No. And I mean, that's by design. You know, part of the modernist thing was like. Um, I mean, we might have. We definitely have read people who wrote later than her chronologically. So there's some inheritance of uh, innovation there being more peppered in, like randomly. Um, but yeah, I, I think she kind of like was one of the people to really like popularize this idea, like moving between subjective <laughs> minds. And specifically like in general, right. She was one of the members of, of what's called the sort of like Bloomsbury group, right. Which is this yeah. loose association of like English intellectuals. I think Keynes was part John, John Maynard Keynes was part yeah. of it. And a few other people who I don't, I don't know a ton about it, but they were, you know, consciously interested in pushing, sorry, pushing the <laughs> the limits of their kind of various fields that they were in. It was it was in Virginia Woolf was sort of, you know, the writer and just probably a couple other writers in there. And then 
but th that was something that they were very consciously doing, right? Was trying to take their their field, whatever it was, and kind of push it in new directions, and and kind of, you know, not reject or buck tradition, but like take it in in ways that it had not been taken before. And I think that was something that she was very consciously doing here. That's, what was, what that's was a, the group called? Uh, the Bloom the uh, the Bloomsbury Group, which is like it's like the most British, very British club name yeah. I've ever yeah. heard. There's a lot that of very was, British terms that, like nincompoops comes up, which made me laugh out loud. It's like good, the most British word. This is a word. good word. It is a great word. Uh, Use it in a sentence. Clifford Lee Sargent is a nincompoop. <laughs> <laughs> and a chancer. That's another British word I like. Uh, yeah, that, actually, you just provided a pretty decent definition of just sort of like the most broad de description of modernism, too. In, in literature specifically? or Because, uh, again, I don't know. Like, this is a term that I know some loose, but this is, this is really, as far as I know, my first experience reading like a consciously or, or sort of one of the defining modernist texts. So, I mean, maybe if you could talk about it a little bit. Uh, I mean, I don't know much more than you. Uh, and I also am of this opinion that like, it, it's such, it's so hard to pin down in some ways that like, uh, postmodernism in a way just feels a little bit like super modernism or something to me, you mm. know? Mm. Uh, which is just basically like, uh, you know, there's a lot of like disruptions in popular preconceived sort of like whatever, you know, a lot of paradigm shifts or whatever going on. Uh, and uh, people were trying to like square that with their traditional outlooks and institutions and histories and culture and stuff. And so, yeah, you get exactly what you were describing, which is like, you're not, they're not necessarily trying, they're trying to like move things forward while not like throwing it out quite right. yet at this time. Maybe that's something that happens more later. And that's what's called postmodern is like the actual, like just destruction of those things. But, um, so yeah, it was more like taking old forms and trying to like rejuvenate them with new content as a way of, um, I don't know, like realizing the new ideas that were being pushed about like industrialization and the war and yeah this is all post world war 1 obviously which is and which you, was a it's a, it's a, it's a defining kind of event in the book as well for the characters in the book not just the context of the writing yeah and you you've just got like all the like dark fallout from darwin and then you've got a uh, uh significantly i think freud and jung um which i think is a big part jung is a big part of this book um, just collective unconscious collect like bolt stuff. Sorry, I was about to say bullshit. <laughs> I don't like that. <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, I think I think uh, Virginia Woolf herself was pretty interested in psychoanalysis, though. I yeah, I'm not, I'm not, yeah, I, I, I could totally see that. Well, I I feel like the style is written from the perspective of someone who like understands their own psychoanalysis. Like, I feel like Woolf was writing in a very like disjointed I find I found the the writing to be pretty difficult because it was so disjointed and so stream of consciousness and you really have to like thread and pay attention to understand like the plot points but you know she goes off on tangents and it feels pretty like anxiety ridden even though it's like written very yeah, calmly yeah, too definitely which was a very strange mix like most of like the all the zoomers out there on. read this book yeah, it's like you know, it's like anxiety provoking, but but also quaint, which was a very right. strange mix. Yeah, it's, it's definitely that's a, perfect, that's a great way to put it, Paul. It's not an easy book to read. I would say it's actually yes, you're right. But once again, the emphasis is like easy, but like um, 
even on just a prose level, like you could pretty much just read any chunk at random and it's, I would just say beautiful. <laughs> like it's just beautifully wrought and like, I, I, I think Virginia Woolf is like, I don't know. She's just one of the best pro stylists I've read. I also am super partial to like this era of, of writing, which does have like the old and the new, like yeah. the like sort of Queen's English meets, uh, I don't know, new terminology and some new techniques. Right. I, I, I think, uh, yeah, I, in terms of reading the book, it's definitely, I think the way you put it, Paul, right. It's anxiety inducing. It's very just like, you know, it, it, I wouldn't say it's quite, and I would say that it, it varies a little bit. There are chunks of the book that are not as intense in that regard as others. And and she's very good in the, in the, um, I read the introduction to my edition, um, or the forward, which was written by, uh, I think, um, Maureen Robin Howard Williams. and <laughs> Robin Williams. <laughs> um, and the way that they put it, which I thought was really apt, was that Wolf has a way of, at least in this book, is the only one I've read, but like having these moments or these small sections or paragraphs or even sentences that work as like anchors holding down the corners of a tent that's being blown up in the middle. <laughs> and, and, that's a good way of putting it. And, and like, because there's these. There's these really there's these moments of really sharp, dramatic kind of punctual writing where there, she drops a sentence or a phrase or a, a, even a small paragraph that's like super to the point, super, you know, terse, and it it sort of serves as a, a you know bookend or a, a, a you know whatever to a section that is like off the wall, like out there talking about you know just doing the stream of consciousness free association almost type stuff that's describing what's going on in a character's head. And so it, the book really, I feel like, finds, strikes a, a really delicate balance between like those various styles of writing. And it is stressful in some ways and anxiety inducing, but there go my dogs. Speaking of stressful. Yeah, it's like, uh, I like your metaphor. Yeah, it's like someone trying to put like a, like a big It's not mine, it's, it's a, Maureen Howard's. Oh, you freaking fraud. I said that, but, I said it was in the information. <laughs> Okay. He's an honest academic. Yeah, it's like someone trying to put a giant tent up in a windstorm, and they got like one pole down. Right. Those sentences are like that. Like it's it's staying down, but it's like barely, barely. (laughs) Yeah. And there's but there's there's yeah there's like a there's like an undercurrent throughout the whole novel of just like like a frustration, an undercurrent of like I don't know something is loose and not totally like correct. And it's yeah, uh, it's, it made me feel icky. I think uh, yeah, I think like again that this is where the date matters and like um, you know, I I also read that you know, Virginia Woolf was like being a bit, she, she I, I guess she was nervous of being too open about uh, wartime stuff. Um, so which I find interesting because the book is pretty open about a lot of other stuff that was like similarly taboo at the time like yeah th- there's there's the potential like lesbian relationship there's mm-hmm. like ptsd and suicide and a lot yeah, of other things heavily. that are like yeah this yeah, so kiss I- this kiss that's what i thought of <laughs> when oh that scene came up <laughs> great song. all the things you said all the things you said running through it yeah uh <laughs> 
Um, yeah, so I don't know. what. Maybe it was just, like, too soon for this in particular. <laughs> like, well, I mean, I don't even know if it's a question of, like, too soon. I think it's just a question of, and, you know, I'm sure this is this episode, every book is a sequel to the next, to the last book. Next hmm. week, we're going to be talking about The Great Gatsby, and we're going to be talking about a lot oh, of the yeah. same, same shit. But it's a question of, like, putting back together the the sort of, like pieces of the world before world war one and like what that looks like. And it, and I got that sense from the book too. And this is something that, that, that is that um, Howard talks about too in the introduction to my edition, but like this sense of like trying to kind of fit back together, but knowing that it'll never fit in the same way that it was before. Like, how do we, how do we talk about what happened? How do we talk about, you know, um, life after, world war one and i know it's like it's a different context and there's those sorts of discussions happen about a lot of literature post world war ii but we've i mean i think it's easy to forget there was another world war then that put a lot of people through similar experiences you know Um, right this is the first punch this is the first punch and like you know obviously historically one of the most important like one two ko's for like a lot of uh a lot of different cultures right like in the 20th century and art, I, right? Like, and, and then and, art, yeah, yeah, coming from that and dealing with that. I, but Paul, you're—I mean, I think you're also right. Like this, because we're going to read Gatsby next, and that—that's a very American uh, accounting of of how certain pathologies were <laughs> were channeled and dealt with, or whatever. And then in this one, it's super—it feels super British. It's like stiff yeah. upper lip, quiet desperation, like. Let's just, um, we'll have a party and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll just not talk about it and it's uncouth to, uh, and, you know, I did the right thing and I married a politician and everything's fine, fine, right. fine. And, uh, yeah. You and then deny some... a doubt fire. <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, the, of course, the one, the one. <laughs> you, can, you can have your doubt fires about how uh, much it's going to hold together or whatever. <laughs> Lady Doubtfire. Yeah, <laughs> introducing the Lady, Lady Doubtfire. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but of, of course, the foil, the one foil to that is the character of Septimus, right? Yeah. Severus Snape, yeah. 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 <laughs> Jesus God damn Christ. it, Paul. <laughs> Sorry. If anyone is earnestly trying to listen to this, they're going to be so confused. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like, um, so Robin Williams and then Snape? So <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Um, <laughs> we, we, we can get into all this more, but, if, but yeah, I think just in terms of the, the big context... The, the, the foil to that sort of upright, sort of closed, yeah, tight-lipped British kind of don't-talk-about-it-ness, which exists mm-hmm. at, at, everywhere throughout the book, uh, both in terms of, like, the, you know, the effects of the war and the realities of war, but also people's personal relationships. And, like, there's that, there is a lot of that. Yeah. And then Septimus, who is a World War One veteran... Who came back to England um, after having married a, a woman from Italy, um, and it has Rizia. has what? Uh, yeah, Rizia or Lucrezia. Um, <laughs> molto molto fucking bene. Uh, you know, is um, uh, kind of the foil to that because he is, you know, it's it's sort of like the classic character that's like, am I crazy or is the world crazy? You know what I mean? And yeah. he sort of is the one who kind of is willing to say whatever he actually thinks and comes to his head and he's perceived by the rest of the world as great as, you know, crazy, whatever. I, I know that's a, not a in vogue term anymore, but 
and and he is in a way of course he hears voices he sees people that aren't there uh his his friend from the war who died um yeah yeah well i think but he's also presented as kind of a voice that's sort of telling a truth i think that is like forbidden at the time yeah, I think that his character is like an encapsulation of a lot of the British psyche that was happening post World War One. I. I think that she wrote him in a way that was very like open minded, like the British are, but also very like um, taboo in the way that he presents himself. And he's kind of like, you know, and he also ends up killing himself, too. And I feel like that is a sort of a metaphor for right. just how the British might believe that you should be stiff upper lipped and not talk about it. Otherwise you'll die. <laughs> but uh, I, I did want to point out to like, talking about how crazy world war one was for the psyche of the country. I looked up like past wars before world war one and that the British took a part in. And one was like in 1899, it was like the six day war mm-hmm. and like two people got wounded, you know, like Britain thought that World War One was going to be like a polo match between freaking Germans. They had no idea <laughs> that it was going to be just so absolutely terrible. And so many like it, it's, it had been generations since anyone had faced. I'm, I'm pretty sure the like such a war terrible was an war Israeli war, but it might there might really? be another older one. I thought that I did a good job. Looking no, you, you're up. probably right. It, it's probably the British one, too. I yeah, just I know, know I just know that because I. Well, never mind. I won't talk about that. Well, that's the, that's the big you thing. That's it. yeah. I don't want to talk about my time. Uh, that that was the thing. I don't about want to talk about my opinions about Israel. No, the, <laughs> the six day the six day war of eighteen ninety nine was fought between the British there you go, Empire. Boom. Correct. I stand corrected. That is also a war that Israel was involved in. Okay. Yeah, because they were everyone's they were, right. We're all happy. They were a British colony, right? Initially. Uh, yeah. This, that, this the, the, region, the space that is currently Israel. The region. Yeah. 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 Um. Yeah, but that was that was the that was the difference in, uh, yeah, World War One was obviously like even in basic, shitty American ass history class we learned that like World War One was a reckoning with technology essentially. We were right. like, holy, holy shit! Because <laughs> well, that was the fr- yeah exactly. Yeah. It was we the first like, time there was like, you know, machine guns and gas, airplanes, and yeah, chemical warfare and all that. So everyone was going out there being like, I'm going to hold a saber and do a heroic charge. And, and then, like, right. it was just the most brutal, like, least heroic. <laughs> it's just, like, shit, just shit and mud and, and just sickness. It just yes. sucked. Right. So that was the first big trauma. Of, I mean, not the first trauma, but um, a reckoning with, like, the dark side of, I guess, technology. Which people also, like, even, like, by by around the late eighteen or uh, 1800s were already, like, like rallying against you know like seeing a turning point where they were like okay like technology can go this way for us or this other way which i thought i i find to be so interesting like by the time you get into like their 1900s like there's a lot of like uh in the u.s again and in britain i feel like there was a lot of like these like the wage shit was like a, a debate right Gabe, I think, and just like the idea that like we would become inhuman nodes and like basically machine, right? Like assembly lines, which is what happened. Kind of true, yeah. Yeah, very true. Yeah. But for a while, it was like a question mark, and then people were sort of like depressingly just sort of like realizing <laughs> by the twenties, like that they were losing that battle. Well, that's what I kind of think. Like a lot of the technology placed in the novel kind of represents like the air. Like there's a lot of airplanes. Um, that people are kind of like afraid of like they, they're kind of I think it reminds them of the war 
and yeah. it just remind it's just like a a knife in their psyche telling them that like technology is here to stay and nothing is going to go back to the way it was before yeah because what is that plane what is that sky writing plane doing uh, oh, I think it's doing something. an ad, right? I think it's an ad. Yeah, it's doing an ad. I love that. Yeah. And I, I, that was the scene that I was thinking of when you were just talking, Paul, because there's this scene early in the book where, there, you know, people are on the street going about their day shopping and, and whatever, and then the, this plane flies over and everyone kind of, like, freezes and, like, looks up and, and is kind of captivated and, like, wondering what is this thing doing and and yeah. they're all kind of watching it and with with uh, this this combination of like awe and terror which is like the the attitude to technology and everything i think at the time yeah. and and it just turns out to be writing an ad which i just thought was fucking hilarious yeah. i just like that was one of my favorite parts it's just like this thing and it's like invoking terror rightly so because they had the shit bombed out of them and it's just like an ad for like uh, uh i don't know what it was something super stupid and meanwhile, Septimus thinks it's, like, fiery writing in the sky by, like, God telling him... Giving him messages, yeah. ...how to, like, unite all of humanity under a single, like, utopian banner. I love it. I, I think... I also think that sort of qu question about, like, the general attitude towards technology in the book and at the time is reflective of... Or, or not not technology specifically, but sort of like post World War One, like okay, like now what, right? Like where where do we go now? Where what are our next steps? How do we, you know, put this shit that we've been calling civilization and society back together, knowing that this can happen? You know, that's I think to me reflected in the attitude of 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 the modernists and the people involved in those sorts of movements because it's that's what they were concerned with what are the next steps where do we go now clearly like repeating the past is a bad idea from their perspective because it put us in a place where <laughs> we had you know that and um were the modernists generally like optimistic then is that a big difference you think between postmodernists and modernists because it sounds sort of like a like a more of a positive like let's make change to make sure this doesn't happen again and postmodern is kind of like more accepting and like this is the way things just are uh i i mean i think it caused i don't think it was the initial sort of postmodernist uh explorations into like furthering modernism uh were sad or cynical necessarily but i think it did largely create like a kind of exhaustion in most people intellectually <laughs> I don't yeah. know what you think, Gabe. Well, no, I mean, I think that's that's right. I mean, I think a lot of people accuse the postmodernists of sort of being, and this is a separate conversation probably, but of being that, that sort of cynical detachment, that kind of like, you know, layer on layer on layer and on layer and self-reference on self-reference on self-reference, and it's not engaging with anything sort of, re, you know, quote-unquote real, whatever the fuck that means. But, mm -hmm. you know, on the question of optimism, I don't really know. I mean, I think... Um, I think there's a, a, a in this book at least there's a sort of balance because there's a lot of dark shit in this book, um, and I don't know if I would call it optimistic, but there's a sort of like, you know, it, it's a sort of like Beckett like uh, Beckett vibe like I can't go on I'll go on you know what I mean like yeah. that's kind of the vibe that I got from it more than uh, any sense of like affirmative optimism. I was uh, I was just reading. It's cremo is the thing that the plane is writing in the air, Perfect. which is a is like a toffee. It's like a candy. Perfect. 
and everyone else is just like slowly breathing a sigh of relief you know they're having war flashbacks and then septimus but septimus <laughs> is watching the is uh <laughs> he's going i don't know he's like noticing like nature around him because he's just sitting on a park bench and he just says but they beckoned leaves were alive trees were alive and the leaves being connected by millions of fibers with his own body they were on the seat fanned it uh fanned it up and down and then later on <laughs> he goes men must not cut down trees there is a god he noted such revelations on the back of his envelope change the world no one kills from hatred make it known he wrote down uh yeah just stuff like that like yeah he's having this like almost um messianic delusion oh absolutely and i mean i think you know septimus is really interesting i mean also because of the way that him and and clarissa dalloway intersect at the end of the novel when she sort of hears about his doctor bring up or i think it's his doctor that brings it up i forget but someone brings up the fact that this guy had killed himself she doesn't know who he is they didn't know each other personally but it's brought up at her party that a soldier had recently killed himself by jumping out of a window and she goes kind of upstairs alone and kind of reflects on it a little bit and there's it's a way that their characters kind of intersect and she feels this kind of kinship for him um but ultimately obviously makes different decisions and and i think that's a really interesting scene in terms of like how people deal with you know personal trauma national trauma human you know the traumas of human nature because of course that septimus is like big obsession is that human nature is is out to get him and he personifies it in the in the in the person of one of his doctors um yeah which i thought was also really fascinating yes (laughs) <laughs> I I grew to also hate that fucking doctor. What's his name? Bradshaw. Was well, so Brad? there's two. There's um, the one who he uh winds up seeing as like kind of like the mental health like specialist is Bradshaw, but then he's referred to Bradshaw by Holmes. Oh yeah, Holmes, who's the original doctor, who who basically is just like you know Holmes's treatment method is basically like. Oh, you're fine, man. Like, come on, your wife's sad. Like, why are you being weird? You know, like, yeah. so, don't be a weirdo. Like, just get out of yeah. bed. Get out of bed, and and come on, you're scaring your wife. What's going on here? Unhelpful. Yeah, Holmes. yeah not the not not particularly helpful. <laughs> <laughs> Who's Sir William? I'm. I, that's I, that's just, Bradshaw. Well, that, that's dude, Bradshaw. That's one. Sorry, of the I other... read this book. I read this book now, like going on a month and a half ago. Yeah. Or something, so. Well, but that's uh, one of the other things, and maybe this is something else we can talk about maybe later, but that's one of the things about this book is that, like, the language is always so slippery, right? Like, people are, one character can be referred to in three or four different ways, right? By their first name, by their last name, by their title, by some some characters are referred to by their maiden names or, like, yeah. nicknames, and it's very just, like, you know, and all of that, I think, is reflective of the various kind of I think it's meant to be reflective at least of the various ways that we as individuals interact with and think about each other. Right. Like, so, you know, to me, you know, Paul, you have like two or three names that I've known you by and called you by in your life that, that are all you. And I think that that's part of partially something that's coming through in the way that, that identities are portrayed in this book. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and also it just points to the realism of the stream of consciousness thought process, right? Is like when you're 
like well, like how you just, you just said when you're thinking about a friend, you don't always refer to them as Gabe or Matt. It's like my friend uh, with the glasses and curly hair. I think that. <laughs> <Not really>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my my friend, friend. My friends are yeah. My friends are shapes. My and colors. friend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my white friend. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. I uh, I think that um, that's right, and I also think that like everybody in this book, even people painted primarily as villains, and I think Septimus is actually painted a little bit ludicrous, essentially. But but I, I think that's true of like basically every character. Like every character is kind of um, has like failed or like is um, unhappy. You know, it's not quite the to the degree of like full-on PTSD-induced delusions, but um, I think, like, because Septimus is kind of also talking about this this notion of the unity of, of all living things as part of a huge aspect of his philosophy, I think that's genuinely something that, like, the book itself is affirming, you know? Oh, 100%. 100%. I mean, and that's, like, the, the in just, like, stylistically, the way the book moves, again, there's not a lot of section breaks, there's no chapters... Mm-hmm. there's there's just this like like uninterrupted flow between being in the mind of one character and being in the mind of the other and it just comes together like they're just smashed together like one paragraph you'll be in someone's mind and another you'll be in someone on the other side of town doing something completely different um and i yeah. think that i so i think you're right that that that's you know partially affirming kind of some of the stuff septimus is saying i don't know that i would say that he's painted as a villain or or whatever not a villain i know you, but but i meant the doctors were villains the doctors septimus are definitely is villains. ludicrous or like yeah. some kind of laughable figure a little but bit. i also think that in some ways like there's a sense of because at the end clarissa you know expresses this affinity for septimus and i think there's a i think there's a number of layers to that but i think part of it is that he is this character who is kind of just like unavoidably authentic. He doesn't put on, he can't put on airs. He doesn't like, he doesn't dress the way people expect him to dress or want him to dress. He doesn't say what people want to hear. He is just completely, you know, authentic and, and unfiltered. And I think that's something that, that Clarissa and a lot of other characters in the book, or at least not, not a lot, but maybe one or two others, um, envy in a way because so much of the book is about their the things they can't say right the things they can't do the things that they have to say alone or in their heads only you know yeah yeah I mean the, I think the tragic element to that though is that I felt like uh, Septimus Severus was only that way because the war acted as a catalyst for his personality change right like he right. he he was so like fucked up and distraught about what he went through and having all this, you know, all these horrible experiences that he became more like that. So people envy that in his personality, but he's also just incredibly tormented. So it's not really something they should be envying. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, but it's a sort of like, and I think she talks about death and when she's thinking about his death as a type of not freedom, but some sort of like, you know, uh, maybe she does use that word. I forget. And I'll, I'll look it up, but there's a sense of of his choice to die as kind of like the ultimate free choice that that Clarissa envies in a way or, or and I'm sure a million people have said you know and that ties in in hindsight so perfectly with 
Virginia Woolf. Yeah, you know of course, I mean? right? Who, who, if you don't yeah. know, committed suicide by walking into the ocean. Yeah. But I will say, I think you know, this was twenty something years before she committed suicide. I think when she wrote this, yeah, something like that. Um, yeah. I do. I did have like some sort of optimistic end point. It seemed to be more of an optimistic end point from her perspective at the end. Like she, I, I think she wrote maybe a little autobiographically within Dalloway, Clarissa and Septimus. I feel like she was mostly like those two characters and um, I'm just speculating, but I, 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 I walked away thinking that like she was a little bit more skeptical of her own thoughts on suicide and wanted to choose like the, the better way and live at this point in her life. Yeah. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's right. Because I think, yeah, it's like, you're right. Like, you have Septimus, but his quote-unquote honesty is catalyzed by an event that is, you know, abhorrent and should not be the way in which people arrive at the personality that Septimus had. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and obviously also, and I don't think anyone, you know, I think maybe Clarissa's like, wow, she, but he's, he's you know, he, he's still a, a headline. He's not the... He's not a guy who she's like, oh, I'm so sad. This uh, guy I knew very well. He, you know, he's. It's like reading any kind of like tragedy in the news, and some people just like are. They'll be affected by it, maybe, or have some empathy, but. But she does represent the counterbalance, right? Yeah, because yeah. She, she ultimately turns back and goes back to the party, right? She ch- yeah. turns back to, the world and and people and whatever. Um, but I, but I definitely think that she, there's a sense of, of of kinship and envy almost there because and, and she, she's like this paragon of accommodation too. Yes, you know, so many disparate types of people seem to like her and also see her as like also a piece of shit. You know what right, I mean? Right. Well, and that's sort of one of the major threads like with her character and and one of the other major characters, Peter Walsh, who was one of her young you know suitors when she was younger. And yeah. um, who had gone off to to uh, th- at that time British India, and then came back on the day of this party, and um, he has sort of never gotten over being rejected by her, you know. And then ultimately, she winds up marrying Richard Dalloway, who's kind of a, you know, just like a safe bet, safe bet, like politician, like go England, like I love England, and I shed a single tear for England, yeah, um, kind yeah. of dude. He just like loves Tottenham. Basically, <laughs> yeah, he would be like, Yes, yes, go, boys. Come on, lads. Uh, <laughs> I can't talk about my feelings, boys, but I love Tottenham. But I'll get drunk and cry at a soccer game, and exactly. it's the, the equivalent. Uh, yeah, and again, because there's a sort of tension, push pull, and a, and, a, and a contiguousness between all characters, it's like it's at once a failure, and it is what it is. Like, she she made that, uh, more practical decision and in a lot of ways it's you know because because you do you 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 float through other people's uh you know uh individual minds so you get the thoughts they they have about each other but no no one is ever communicating there's no there's no communication happening whatsoever so it's like one of the things that i would love to do at some point if i had a bunch of time I mean, it probably wouldn't take that long, but because there's so much of that, there's so much talking, you know, thinking about what people would say, what they want to say, what they're trying to say, what they think, 
but the actual like number of lines of dialogue in this book would probably take up like five pages of the 180 80 plus or 190 like there's very very little actual dialogue of people speaking to each other i wonder if you could do like a multi-circle venn diagram like chain links to see how much of everyone is overlapping and anyone else like in an actual communicative interaction <laughs> versus the world of their thoughts it's, like it's, in their it's, own it's sphere. not much like yeah I, people do not talk to each other a lot in this book it's perfunctory it's hello it's i'm announcing that you're arrival to the party or whatever at almost all of the sort of content of the book takes place inside someone's head and i think that you know parsh one of the other things that i really enjoyed about the book is that it's it seems to be a comment on language right and our inability and this gets back to the name thing and this gets back to like a lot of this other stuff people can't say what they want to say they can't say either because of social social mores or whatever or they just you know can't find the words to say what they mean there's a great scene where richard um clarissa's husband is is buy he buys, buys her flowers and he's coming home and he's thinking about just saying the phrase i love you to his wife <laughs> right, and like yeah. all of the various permutations about how he might say it and how it might fail and like how what it means and da, 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 and ultimately he just can't say it and then he's just like but we you know we kind of get it we both kind of get it yeah that's like the just... most british thing ever like <laughs> yeah. that, this whole this whole line of thought is just like so exemplary of how i mean how i'm told british people are right, <laughs> right. Just like, they just can't express anything but they live like kind of they try to live like an, in, with an upbeat attitude or at least like content attitude and it comes totally through with so many of these characters. Hey, if there's but any I, British people out there, come on the show. <laughs> are there any British podcasts out there? <laughs> um, but, but, but I, I also think it's like it's a it's a point, right? She's tr- making a point because it, it's also like it's f- it's a f- sort of funny scene. It's about like, like a British kind of interpersonal relationships or whatever. But it's also true, right? Like if you read the read the lead up. All of the stuff Richard is thinking, all of the history, he's like, he knows Peter is back in town at this point, who's like Rex's lover, and he's like thinking yeah. about all this stuff. And like, I think part of the point that, that Wolf is trying to make, which by my lights is sort of a postmodernist point, is that all to, to try to express all of what's going on internally just with a phrase like, I love you, is sort of ridiculous. Like, it is kind of like a failure. Like, language never captures and inherently cannot capture all of this like all of our experiences that are happening inside of our heads at any given moment it's just not possible are you saying that that is like you know uh, she tried to explain to express that by the writing style because there's so little dialogue like she was trying to is that is that what you're saying partially yeah yeah because what is like that because Richard comes home and like, what does he ultimately do? And and also, I, th- I, I think he, I think he says nothing. I think he just no, doesn't he, say, anything, or maybe he says something else. He like puts the flowers down and then like just sort of like nods. He's like, Meh. right, right, exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like this will do. <laughs> uh, but also, isn't Clarissa? And again, I'm the most farther away from having read it to now. So like, doesn't Clarissa sort of, in her own internal thoughts, like? know that that's what he's trying to do and is kind of hoping he does though yes i think so. yeah i mean it's almost like clarissa explains it all <laughs> fuck how did i not think of that that's good <laughs> okay that's, that's like, yeah clarissa knows it all <laughs> right. i was waiting for that one 
I think there's probably one major theme that we need to bring up, which is like the feministic point of view, right? I mean, this was this yeah, was written sure. during the British suffrage movement for like you know the women in Britain to get the right to vote, and obviously, I, I it's like so much of uh, Clarissa's experience is just like this kind of docile uh, wife of a a rich-ish man. A politician. Um, a politician. I think importantly. So the vote thing is... And she's just, like, you know, constantly contemplating the futility, I would say, of just, like, what she's doing, like, her existence. Um, and I... she it, it does kind of feel like she's in a cage, too. I think, like, Matt, your map in your book is kind of, like... To me, that kind of points to that idea of, of her feeling caged in her life, but also yeah, her life yeah, as, yeah. A, as a woman during this time period. Like she's yeah, trying they, to play a role of just like the nice woman that everyone likes, but she's fucking bored as hell and doesn't right. hate her existence, but like is constantly questioning it and feels like a uh, hamster in a wheel a little bit. Yeah. I think that's what makes her maybe one of like, you know, necessary, like I, by my experience, it made her the most relatable in a way, you know, like maybe she's a bit of a cipher. Maybe she's a bit, uh, you know, um, unsubstantial in her thoughts about this and that. But like, it's it's just it's that it's that yeah like kind of tragic state that feels more um, relatable to me. I, I I think it like from a feminist point of view, it definitely you know prefigures like what um, uh, Betty Friedan calls later in the feminine mystique the problem with no name, right? Which is just this this general sense of like <laughs> ennui and like, I can't do what I want to do. I can't say what I want to say. I'm like, I, I, I should, should quote unquote, like be happy. Like I'm fine. You know, and th- th- she's writing in the sixties or, or late fifties or something. Um, and it's just this like general, like, bleh. you know what I mean? Yeah. But what I, what's interesting though is right. Like, you know, this predates that by, you know, decades. And it's like, I always love when different gender genders are writing about the other one. So like, you know, and I, I think it's significant that like the male characters in this book, while not, not being in the same state as Clarissa are like, I don't know. They're, they're, they're equally kind of adrift and like not getting to do their own thing. You right, know what I mean? Right. Like, I think, yeah. I mean like, uh, what's his face? Peter Walsh is like, a loser total loser he and, calls and, himself a loser at one point i think doesn't he yeah he's like i fucked up every opportunity i ever had and uh he's still he's literally like the guy who's like chasing like young women around and stuff and like he's still he you know he had some sort of what like socialistic or communistic uh politics yeah at some back point. in the day I, I, he, he claims clarissa did too he calls her a radical at some point yeah he was like probably like then. a fabian or something and then like uh yeah, I don't know. Like he, he's just been thwarted now, and it's. I mean, I'm not denying that it's it's completely different in a lot of ways than like what the female characters go through. But like, you know what I mean? Like he's just as oh, definitely. Ultimately, experiencing a, a problem with no name. Exactly. You know. E- even um, even Clarissa's husband. I think this is part like part of the irony of the story, right? Like even Richard, he's a politician. He's fam- but he's not a successful politician. He's not. He doesn't have like a. He, 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 you know, all of the other people who are like really involved in politics are kind of like he's just a, you know, 
what we call a backbencher. He's just like a yeah. whatever. Like he's yeah he's yeah he's in politics, but he's not like he has no real prospects for any major office. He's not like a mover and shaker. He's just kind of like Bleh. he's in there. <laughs> he's just he's in like the, there. Yeah, he's like right. the backup goalie that if like the goalie on the on the NHL team gets injured and the backup one gets injured, then he comes in. He's like forty five years old. Yes, hasn't played yeah, in twenty years. Just a workhorse. Just so dependable, dude. Just so dependable. Cause yeah, he's like um one of the one of the like scenes that I I don't know, I, I liked was just um uh, whatever that weird tension was where he, he goes and talks to this like uh, society woman. Do you remember what her name is? Uh is this when they write the letter to the paper? Yeah. yeah um I, for- I forget her name off the top of my head. Hold on. Like, like, I, I think is she. I think she's is, no. She's not the prime minister's wife, but she's like up there in status. But I think she's just an aristocrat. I don't think she's like uh, wed to anybody in politics, and she's like the lady who can talk politics with the guys. Um, and there is some tension there. Like Clarissa's like, "What the fuck? Like, he didn't even tell me he was gonna go. I wasn't invited to go. Also talk." Um, which does speak to some sort of I don't know, like sense of. Like, why the fuck would you think I don't have things to say about this? And then being sort of, in her own mind, self-censorious and being like, I don't, because I don't, you know what I mean? Like that. Right. The self-censor. But then, I don't know, they ultimately write, like, a letter and it's just some, like, spurious, it's a- like... <laughs> weird leech guy who writes it and everyone it's a letter it's a letter about how all the british youths need to emigrate to canada (laughs) 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 oh my god yes but richard richard seems like the obvious like safe choice for clarissa right like she's experienced what she thinks is like all of the most exciting things when she was younger and she just wants to kind of like, I don't know. It's not like she wants to live a mundane life, but she wants to like. Lady Bruton. Lady Br- Brutton. Brutton. Yeah. Thank you. Brutton. Sorry, Paul. She just wants to, you know, feel safe. And Richard is a safe choice. But she doesn't. I don't, I don't even fully. know if she like, she doesn't fully. No. I mean, I don't think she loves him. She loves Sally. Yeah. It's hard to, it's, it, yeah. Well, right. So Sally. Before we get to Sally, I mean, it's it, the question of love is difficult because we hear about we only really hear about Richard and Clarissa's like courtship from Peter, who feels spurned and is like bitter about it still 20, 30 years later. And yeah. he describes their initial meeting as like him having to come to terms with like, oh, I'm watching them fall in love in front of my eyes, you know, and he going through that process. But we never really hear about it from Clarissa's perspective in terms of like how she you know authentically feels about about Richard really yeah yeah she seems mostly to just have her suspicions confirmed while still just like in you know just somewhat unavoidably like feeling the twinge of regret a bit right but ultimately she's like yeah like I don't know maybe the practical choice was the choice that bears fruit in the long run and this guy Peter's toxic though (laughs) <laughs> he is Toxic i love that loser. he's just he's just i love the like uh just the straight up just like phallic knife that he just fingers yeah, the whole time yeah, he's yeah. just constantly just he's like playing with his knife, knife. <laughs> he gets nervous and his <laughs> knife just slowly starts to come out and he starts just like opening and closing it 
Oh God, yeah, yeah. I did but, like also that um, you know Sally is also in Mrs. Doubtfire. Sally Field. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's interesting. Mrs. Doubtfire is just like a weird recreation of Mrs. Dalloway. I'm convinced yes. now. But yes, yeah, so um, sure. Sally is one of Clarissa's other youthful love interests who she's had sort of spent summers with, I guess, in this town. I don't know. I don't know the details of like where, where things are in England, but all of the like love triangle bullshit started in some like uh country, country estate that they all stayed right, at for right. a while. And they were all kissing each other and falling in love with each other yes. and like going on picnics. playing tennis. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> and then from that, they all moved to London and they're all just kind of like, just, just, yeah, yeah, discouraged adults in their like <laughs> late forties, mid fifties, mm. and I think Sally, you know, because the first time we actually meet is this the first time we meet her when she comes to the party, like actually meet her. She's talked yeah. about, but she comes to the party and towards the end of the book, and that's the first time we meet her. And she's, you know, she's, uh, I think, kind of goes out of her way to like put that to rest that part of her life because one of the first things she says is i've got five kids now like i'm married to like a, a lord and and like i uh, that's me i'm i'm the the the, the wife with five kids it's yeah a, it's, not, the, not, it's the not gay kids. card yeah it's the yeah, not exactly. gay card, right? yeah exactly <laughs> yeah, absolutely. just showing her yeah not gay card <laughs> she's just like we're I'm not just... we're not gonna kiss again at this party let me just throw that out there oh my god <laughs> But she also, of course, like at the party, she like lingers and like waits uh, to see Clarissa again before she leaves. And she's like, oh, I really should go. I really should go. But I have to see her again before I do. Yeah. The last two people to, to exit the party are P- Peter Sa- and Sally, Peter and Sally, the true the true heads, you know, the real Clarissa heads of the, of the whole Oh, house. my God. Yeah, it's Clarissa heads. <laughs> Clarissa heads. But it is interesting. Sally is just like it, it is. A, one of those light asides that actually just feels pretty heavy when it's introduced, especially for its time. Absolutely, yeah. Oh, definitely. I, I do wonder, like, how the public thought of this book when it came out. I mean, I don't totally, I, I have no idea, but it, would it be, like, shunned a little bit? Like, not shown to teenagers and shit like that? I actually don't just know what its reception like, was. Just yeah. for, like, I don't a know. little bit of lesbian kissing? I don't, I don't know. I feel like there's plausible deniability that it was, you know, just close girlhood fr- girl girlhood friends or something. Well, I, I think it does. I mean, I'm pretty sure it's there is definitely a lot of like sexual, not innuendo, but just like allusions in the book. Yeah, yeah. But but I think they, I think she's explicit that they actually kissed. No, yeah, they did. Yeah. And it's because like, and it's partially like, on the lips, on the lips, and it was partially. Because, you know, there is this, like, Sally do some sort of heel turn against her nature, or was this performative before? Um, I don't know. I, it's funny. I, I've, I know a couple people that remind me of, like, this sort of transformation of, like, people who were, like, really wild, and then, uh, and, and then particularly, like, married kids. Yeah, they married then, kids. Oh, married. Oh, God. <laughs> Shut up, Paul. <laughs> Sorry. I meant that as very comma. I know. Fuck. I think it was uh, like a. I think it was a Zoom glitch because it was like married kids. No, no, it was me. Really it was me oh. speaking wrongly. Uh, 
Yeah, you know, and and then just and just being like, but but also being genuinely happy with that scenario. Like that was actually like every the, in my experience, those types of people I meet, the other part of their life was largely performative and fueled by uh, despair. <laughs> and, yeah, and, uh, yeah, it's hard to tell which part. It's hard to tell, <laughs> especially at our age, though. Despair. It's hard true, to tell true, at our true, age true. too, because these people, you know, it'd be like ten years from or fifteen years from our in our future. We don't know how those people are gonna feel about their lives you know yeah yeah I'll, tr- I, yeah. yeah right but uh you know just like i think what the, the the attraction partially was just like there's a girl and she's not acting kind of like a girl she's a tomboy basically yeah tomboy and she's uh you know she's good at field hockey she's riding Ooh, horses and what are you doing british <laughs> Don't yeah, you let were me doing it. You were doing it. Don't let me. You've already done it like a couple of times, and it does veer into like something unrecognizable to me. That's every accent I try to do. I just can't. I, I want to be able to do them so bad, but I just shouldn't even try. <laughs> okay. Well, now I okay. I want to ask you to try because you said no, you don't want to, but no, do it. You're doing Picard a little bit. Field I said hockey. field hockey. Yeah, field hockey. I haven't watched, you know, obviously so much Star Trek. We know. And the uh, existence is futile thought came up to me reading this book, obviously. Yeah, there's yeah. definitely a lot of kind of like uh, existential angst in the in the book. And, you know, angst. Clarissa is variously described as kind of like a cynic and a skeptic and like an atheist and sort of like, um, she's kind of like a doomer in a way. Like, yeah. Yeah. Well, she has a lot of like, nostalgic and melancholic vibes but I, I, she's not total doomer because i well okay she does like she does she does like love life and like loves nature and so here's here's the passage that made me think of of clarissa as a doomer <laughs> this is on um well okay we all have different editions but this is on 77 of my edition um oddly enough and this is i forget who this is talking about her i think this is um uh peter i forgot this is someone else thinking about clarissa Oddly enough, she was one of the most thoroughgoing skeptics he had ever met, and possibly this was a theory he used to make up to account for her, so transparent in some ways, so inscrutable in others. Possibly, she said to herself, as we are a doomed race chained to a sinking ship. Her favorite readings as a girl was Huxley and Tyndall, and they were fond of these nautical metaphors. As the whole thing is a bad joke, let us at any rate do our part, mitigate the sufferings of our fellow prisoners, decorate the dungeon with flowers and air cushions, be as decent as we possibly can. Those ruffians, the gods, shan't have it all their own way. Her notion being that the gods, who never lost the chance of hurting, thwarting, and spoiling human lives, were seriously put out if, all the same, you behaved like a lady. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's a pretty good That's kind of doomer. Well, she did yeah. say the word doom in there, so. Def- yeah, she says we're all doomed. The human race is doomed. <laughs> yeah. And, that, I mean, it is kind of, one of the other themes of the book is kind of like a reckoning with, like, and this is probably both individually and at the level of like British culture post World War One, but like yeah, you know, reckoning with aging and kind of like fading from relevance and like starting to look down that hill towards death, you know. Menopause. <laughs> she references yes. it. She references yeah. it. Yeah. No, I mean yeah, yeah. it's like specifically that. It's like not even, you know, that 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 quote unquote usefulness that she had societally like back then is also like a closed and shut door, you yeah. know? 
I think my biggest doomer take about this book would be that like I, I kind of get the sense that her push towards a better future for England would be to go back towards nature. Is that, did you get that vibe? I don't know. Like, I I really think it's like the, the passage Gabe read is basically what her worldview has, was lightly. And then was like confirmed with the war and like just her like experience of aging, which is just we're in hell. We're all in a prison. We're in prison planet. And, uh, decorate it and be nice and try and be a lady you know what i mean yeah which which is like a lot of british thinkers prior you know like going back much farther than even the 20th century were we're kind of like saying stuff like that right like you know we're, we're all uh we're all beastly and barbaric and short lives if, if not for you know um the social contract and things like that i guess yeah, I, I guess you're right. I think I, I had, I don't know why I picked up on that or thought I did, but I thought that she had like, you know, just like her love for nature made me think that she was pushing or at least thinking like we can live in this hellish world because at least there's still nature. There's still trees. There's still beauty here. But my doomer take would be that like our generation can't really think like that because our nature is going to be like desert hills in like 100 years. For sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Or beautiful oceans. Oh, yeah. Maybe both. Maybe <laughs> just oceans and desert. Water, water world. Well, the yeah. oceans will be beautiful once we're all dead. <laughs> <laughs> doomer Gabe. Yeah, when Megalodon could come back. I'm, defi- I'm, <laughs> definitely, big. I'm definitely a doomer, dude. Well, and uh, dude. I mean, Septimus, Septimus is a full-on antinatalist, dude. We'll see. Yeah. So this is Septimus talking uh, about... Um, Let's see. Da, 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 da. Uh, let's see. I forget what he's talking about. Um, but he's he's talking about. He's somehow talking about having kids, or he's talking about seeing people with with kids or something. Um, one cannot bring children into a world like this. One cannot perpetuate suffering or increase the breed of these lustful animals who have no lasting emotions but only whims and vanities, eddying them now this way and now that. Done. I would I would no say Septimus. I would say Septimus doesn't have a coherent perspective on it because I think he goes into manic and depressive phases where he's like, we're all beautiful beings of light vibrating together. That's true. That's true. In one unified song. And then like, we're all shit trash, just like monkeys, just fucking and fighting each other. (laughs) Because he's so pissed about uh, the the big thing. What is his friend Evans? What was his name? Evans was his his, his commanding officer, I think, in World War One. Seemed to be the breaking point. Yeah. Yeah. Saw him die. Yeah. And then he just kind of just shut down. I liked um He thought he was going off to just play croquet with Evans and then he gets killed. Right. Alright, I already forget the name of the doctor. The the first doctor? Holmes. Bradshaw. 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 I feel like once again as another sort of like uh um representative character of an alternate way of seeing things, you know, because one of the other things I really loved was it didn't feel too heavy handed the way Wolf like does cram a lot of uh, mutually exclusive kind of views on the world into these characters personal worldviews and how they're 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 just kind of like a budding like budding against each other. I mean, obviously the most 
the most stark being messianic prophet delirium ptsd septimus meeting bradshaw yeah because yeah and then bradshaw there's just i'm not gonna read this full chunk i don't think but just like bradshaw just goes proportion divine proportion sir william's goddess was acquired by sir william walking hospitals catching salmon begetting one son in harley street by lady bradshaw who caught salmon herself and took photographs scarcely to be distinguished from the work of professionals worshiping proportion sir william not only prospered himself but made but made england prosper secluded her lunatics forbade childbirth penalized despair made it impossible for the unfit to propagate their views until they too shared his sense of proportion his if they were men lady bradshaw's if they were women <laughs> bradshaw's a full-on fucking eugenicist dude yeah and that's just eugenics utilitarian british guy coming at you you know what i mean so you get that too which i i appreciate do you think that that bradshaw is like r- relating to the the darwin side of things yes probably probably yeah. as like the cutting edge science still i'd say so especially if he's a eugenicist right <clears throat> which was a, a very popular like immediately post darwin view of darwin's theory which is not what it actually is but yeah yes. not true but yeah but yeah so you got that guy and he he does he appears a couple more times sort of expounding on that popping off he, he really He's does going pop off, off dude he pops off he loves how he thinks he yeah most other people are a little more conflicted and you know i think it goes with his worldview that he would also be the most confident in his yeah everyone else is kind of like i don't know fucking it's feeling despair because of the doubt and dissonance and contradictions in their own thought yeah yeah right and i mean i think of course you know bradshaw is one of the richest characters in the book because he's like the specialist yeah. doctor and he's just like caked up like majorly which i think yeah. is you know you know makes it easy to be fucking <laughs> sure of your worldview when you're rich. yeah it's the unholy combo of like you are happy and comfortable through potentially bad circumstances and then you just completely uh reinforce all of that with with like the ideologies and like intellectual little like filigrees you believe in and then and then you're there then you're just you feel good (laughs) got it figured it out dude got it yeah (laughs) just absolutely (laughs) btfoing your dogs every now and again what uh what did you guys make of septimus's wife rezia or lucrezia I thought that was I, I was thinking like I couldn't help but think about, you know, because he comes back from World War One with this Italian wife. He develops PTSD and she's miserable. And I just couldn't help but think about like how many relationships is does that describe like in post Vietnam era United States? You know what I mean? Like I just thought it was really well done. Yeah, th- she was just more sad than anything else, especially because like. You know, it's like like she she seemed to genuinely love Septimus and yeah, and well, it's they describe when they first like meet and it's like this genuinely beautiful moment, and and then of course they share one of the more like beautiful moments in the book right before he kills himself, 
when yeah. they're like wor- she's working on like you know sewing a hat or like making a hat or something and they like start goofing around and putting funny decorations on the hat and stuff and it's adorable and great and like you get this sense that like Septimus is like coming back to reality a little bit and then the doctor shows up and he instantly just jumps out the window basically <laughs> yeah yeah it's fucked up super fucked up super fucked up yeah apparently love isn't all you need <laughs> and that's the Beatles and they're British too and the Beatles suck we, <laughs> we know on this podcast we're anti-Beatles or at least me and Paul are yeah I don't like the Beatles uh, like the they got some bangers I'm sorry <laughs> I get the sed- sentiment though I do you know I don't like the British <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah this it's funny because you know like as much as this book seems informed a bit by like the concepts of you know the collective unconscious and all, and her interest wolf's in uh, psychoanalysis and stuff, it, uh, it's it's pretty like fuck doctors, you know. Yeah, the, the the doctors are not portrayed well in this book. The medical the medical profession, the medical community, and I mean I think I would be interested, you know, because so so Bradshaw right like um, Lucrezia takes. Uh, Septimus to see him on the reference from Holmes and he is sort of this like you know kind of an you know like elevated you know um, mental he's like oh you just need to go to my special home where we're going to teach you how to rest for six months or whatever and you just rest and you know it's like it's like the precursors of like the insane insane asylum insane asylum as well in the United States uh, that we're just doing fucking electroshock therapy and shit and yeah uh, you know, it, it does make me wonder, like, I don't know enough about Virginia Woolf's life, but it, what her experience with the medical establishment was. Clearly, she had, you know, she had some mental health issues and what suicidal ideation and whatever, um, and then ultimately did kill herself. So I'd, yeah. I wonder if any of this was sort of based on her own experiences. I don't know enough about her life. I'm sure a bit of it was. I mean, so much of it, I, I, I think she did have, like, a, a love for the psycho analysis side of things and i think she probably i mean at the time she probably really enjoyed at least like the prospect of freud and young like people coming to the forefront talking more about mental health uh and i'm just speculating but i'm sure like doctors during the day during that time um weren't very keen on being lenient or helpful at all in terms of mental health cases. That's, it was just that's, like that's not real. That's basically what the what Holmes is like. He's basically just like, come on, man, get what are you doing? Yeah, come on, man, come on, get over drink it, your, man. Drink your room, dude. Gray tea and clean your room. <laughs> Holmes is yeah. basically British Jordan, Jordan Peterson. British Jordan Peterson. <laughs> <laughs> He's, I mean, but Peterson's Canadian. It's like barely distinguishable anyway. Oh, exactly, yeah, dude. Love of the Queen, uh, both cases. I, I actually, in, in reference to this, I, I wrote this down. So, like, um, one of the breaks that I thought was really interesting where it shifts perspectives is, uh, right, so Septimus jumps out the window, and I think he impales himself on a fence or something. Yeah, so, I think that comes out <laughs> like, later at the party. Like, super gross. Uh, Which reminded me of uh, the... Sorry, but, like, what's that movie with the girls that commit suicide? Um, the Virgin Suicides? the virgin suicides <laughs> they, land, they, they all die by landing on a fence post right no uh oh one of them, well, like one one of them, them does. does one of yep. them does okay mm-hmm. anyway i thought of that yeah that's and, my whole thing <laughs> <laughs> nice and, Jane, 
James Woods in that movie is so fucking good, dude. Uh, but it goes like this. So, like, Septimus has died, and, you know, Lucrezia is, like, mourning and distraught. And Holmes, you know, they give her, like, a sedative, and Holmes goes, uh, yeah, yeah, he is dead, she said, smiling at the poor old woman who guarded her with honest light blue eyes fixed on the door. Uh, blah, blah, blah. They were carrying him away now. Ought she not be told? Let her sleep, said Dr. Holmes, feeling her pulse. She saw the large outline of his body dark against the window. So that was Dr. Holmes. And then there's a cut, and it goes into Peter Walsh's head, and it just starts, One of the triumphs of civilization, Peter Walsh thought. It is one of the triumphs of civilization, as the light high bell of the ambulance sounded. Swiftly, cleanly, the ambulance sped to the hospital, having picked up instantly, humanely, some poor devil. <laughs> and that Septimus in the, in, the, in the ambulance, and I was just like, that's pretty funny. That's darkly funny, you know? Yeah. Just, like, completely, like, missing, you know, just <laughs> just two entirely different realities passing by each other, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But it, what were you going to say, Paul? I was going to say, it, I mean, it kind of points, maybe this is reaching, but it kind of points to, like, my, like, the disassociation any medical person ends up having mm. too right it's just yes. like a comment on that just like someone who sees dead bodies like on the daily which but is walsh, also a fucked up thing but walsh it's it's the, the i think the difference is that it's walsh who is a british east india company like you know guy basically yeah um like seeing to the like declining colonial empire uh who's just being like ah ambulances we yes, can sw- we can swiftly <laughs> attend to this to the ill of our beautiful empire and civilization. It's just not like, like there's a guy fucked and just killed himself because, you know, of this yeah. civilization's uh, you know entanglements globally yeah. and stuff. Um, it's a bit more doomer psychopathic. You're right. Well, speaking of more doomer stuff, uh, and I thought of this passage, Paul, just because. Um, this is kind of where Clarissa is reflecting on Septimus's death after it's brought up at her party. And um, this is a little long, but I think it's worth it's worth reading most of it because it's Doomer. And it's also sort of talks to speaks to, to the point you were making about like the, the, the distance doctors inevitably develop that sort of just like, ah, yeah, another guy killed himself today. What, what is it to me? It's like my fifth this week or whatever. Right. Yeah. Um, what business had the Bradshaws to talk of death at her party? A young man had killed himself, and they talked of it at her party. The Bradshaws talked of death. He had killed himself, but how? Always her body went through it first when she was told, suddenly, of an accident. Her dress flamed, her body burnt. He had thrown himself from a window. Up had flashed the ground. Through him, blundering, bruising, went the rusty spikes. There he lay with a thud, thud, thud in his brain, and then a suffocation of blackness. So she saw it, but why had he done it? And the Bradshaws talked of it at her party. She had once thrown a shilling into the serpentine, never anything more, but he had flung it away. They went on living. She would have to go back. The rooms were still crowded. People kept on coming. They, all day she had been thinking of Borton, which is, that's where they were all as kids. Um, They, all day she had been thinking of Borton, of Peter, of Sally. They would grow old. A A thing there was that mattered. A thing wreathed about with chatter, defaced, obscured in her own life, let dropped every day in corruption, lies, chatter. This he had preserved. Death was defiance. Death was an attempt to communicate. 
people feeling the impossibility of reaching the center which mystically evaded them. Closeness drew apart, rapture faded, one was alone. There was an embrace in death. But this young man who had killed himself, had he plunged holding his treasure? If it were now to die, twere now to be most happy, she had said to herself once, coming down in white. Or there were poets and thinkers, suppose he had had that passion, and had gone to Sir William Bradshaw, a great doctor, yet to her obscurely evil, without sex or lust, extremely polite to women, but capable of some indescribable outrage. Forcing your soul, was it? If this young man had gone to him and Sir William had impressed him like that with his power, might he not then have said, indeed, she felt it now, life is made intolerable. They make life intolerable, men like that. Then, she had felt it only this morning, there was the terror, the overwhelming incapacity, one's parents giving it into one's hands, this life to be lived to the end, to be walked with serenely. There was in the depths of her heart an awful fear. Even now, quite often, if Richard had not been there reading the Times, so that she could crouch like a bird and gradually revive, send roaring up that immeasurable delight, rubbing stick to stick, one thing with another, she must have perished. But that young man had killed himself. Damn. Fucking just so good. Fuck. Real good. Go off, Wolf. Yeah. Wolf King. <laughs> wolf Queen. King. And, and so I just think that passage just speaks to, like, again this kind of like quiet like desperate sadness and like i can't like i it's sort of like that classic you know little kid thing like i didn't fucking ask to be born dude i never wanted any of this and it kind of sucks yeah and then just my legos i love my legos right roblox uh and then just that 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 idea of just like kindling, Fortnite. just constantly like kindling the fire. Yes. You know, the fucking just torch of like <laughs> ambition or any sort of desire to continue moving forward, just <laughs> guttering shitty little flame. <laughs> right. <laughs> Amidst like the enormity too, you know, like I feel like that was like a big thing that I, because I, I think you, you had T.S. Eliot writes, wrote The Wasteland or sometime mm-hmm. or, also around here. I'm not sure exactly when, but, um, you know, just this idea of like a civilizational rot and failing, but it's also like this mechanism that is lumbering around you that you're kind of a part of, but also there's like human component. I don't know. It's it, yeah. The 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 four. I don't know how to describe it. Like the the, the vibe. Fuck that word. I keep using it, but Dude, you know, the v- that, vibe is a good word. It is a good word. Uh, of that time, just uh. I, I think it I think it The Wasteland was nineteen twenty two, so three years before this. Okay. You know, and I, I think um the idea of people uh, experiencing some sort of break with uh some nice coherent continuous reality and having to just sort of deal with trying to like get back to normal is once again pretty 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 relevant now. Yeah. You know, I would say not quite the same obviously, but um these things just continue to happen. Just ruptures where you're like, oh shit, right, and then you see some of like the the rot and the and the ways in which things don't really work, and then quick right. yeah. and then quit and quickly just a curtain just goes over all that shit like oh fuck and then like whatever and they just paint I gotta go, over. I have it. to go back to the party. Yeah, and they're like, just shut shut up, keep going, keep doing it, and you're like, I'm saw I saw that it's gonna break soon or something. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Yeah, the show must go on. Right. Right, yeah, literally, you've got to go back to the party. Or you don't have to, but you can choose to. 
Yeah, you don't have to. No. You you so don't have to that you could be Septimus, but you then right. you will probably kill yourself. Right. You know? Yeah. On yeah. a fence post. Right. He's literally like a holy fool, though. So I, that's what I like is like you don't even get uh, – you don't get um, – no one's a hero. No, no, There's no path that's like presented by Wolf. Like the closest you get is Dalloway, and it's not uh, – I, w- I wouldn't call that uh, uh, inspiring. You know? Yeah, no. Gabe, a few, a few probably months ago at this point, you were talking about some article discussing how it's kind of unhelpful to think about our lives as like a story. Like you shouldn't yes. think. And I My life a movie, it. dude. Did I send you guys the link to that article? It's a, it's no, a, I wanted to read that. I'll though. send it to you. It's a good article by, um, I think, Galen Strawson um, uh, in, I forget the, the, the magazine, um, but I'll, I'll, I'll send it to you and we can put it up in the description for this or whatever. But I was thinking about the article that I did not read when I was reading this book, though. And what you just said, Matt, about us being kind of just like a, a dwindling kindling fire like that is more uh on par with how i think everyone's life really is it's just like right you're just trying to like keep the fire going maybe it's cool i think if the fire keeps going but you know it's gonna go out at some point um and i feel like a lot of the characters represent this like that type of person that you know there is that maybe they thought when they were younger they were going to have some sort of like hero's journey which is like a Jordan Peterson thing too. But no, I mean, life ends up being very different than that. And um, maybe a part of the story is just them trying to like come to terms with that. Or at least like it, it, it's showing that it isn't that. It, life isn't just a, a story that you read in a freaking book, even though this is a book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I, I mean, I think that it's, there's this like, I mean, there's the sense, I mean, I, there's, there's another passage here that I, that I really love that I could read that's sort of a earlier in the book, but uh, it's similar because at the end of the book, that passage that I read, Clarissa's like observing this, her old elderly neighbor through her window at the end. And um, there's another passage earlier in the book where she's doing the same thing. And she has some similar sort of ruminations about like, you know, there's, there's no, there's really no way out of this. And it just is just it, you know, like, what, what do we do? What, what's, you know? And so I'll I'll just read it again. This is on 127 in my edition, but this is similar sort of sentiment to what kind of what you were just saying, Paul. Um, she's talking about how she's talking about love and religion and how these are all just kind of like false things that people attach themselves to, to give meaning to something that's like inherently meaningless, basically. Um, yeah. uh, Big Ben yeah. struck the half hour. We should, maybe we should talk about the way time is chopped up in this book. Cause Big Ben chiming is like one of the only consistent kind of like breaks in the, like everything is marked by like the, yeah, the clock literally ticking down almost. Sort of like Charles Dickens, British. Sort of like <laughs> what? <laughs> the chimes. What? The chimes. Oh yeah, there you go. Well, uh, also in a Christmas Carol, like the bell tolls one. Yeah, you know that's true. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Sorry. I was yeah, thinking. Yeah. I was thinking when I was. <laughs> no, reading, you're right, dude. You're right. No, you're right. You're right. <laughs> Actually, when I was reading the book, thinking about time and how this is all just one day and what, and it's all just repeating the same sort of stuff and whatever whatever uh i was thinking majora's mask and uh <laughs> the moon coming down and the time taking away 
Uh, I was every time there was a reference to Big Ben striking a time, I would just picture like twelve thirty on the first day, like twelve hours remain or whatever. <laughs> Majora's Mask cutscenes. But anyway, Big Ben struck the half hour. How extraordinary it was! Strange, yes, touching so to see the old lady. They had been neighbors ever so many years. Move away from the window as if she were attached to that sound, that string. Gigantic as it was, it had something to do with her. Down, down, into the midst of ordinary things, the finger fell, making the moment solemn. She was forced, so Clarissa imagined, by that sound, to move, to go. But where? Clarissa tried to follow her as she turned and disappeared and could still see, and still just see her white cap moving at the back of her bedroom. She was still there moving about at the other end of the room. Why creeds and prayers and Macintoshes? When, thought Clarissa, that's the miracle, that's the mystery. That old lady, she meant, whom she could see going from chest of drawers to dressing table. She could still see her, and the supreme mystery which Kilman might say she had solved, or Peter might say she, he had solved, but Clarissa didn't believe either of them had the ghost of an idea of solving, was simply this. Here was one room, there another. Did religion solve that, or love? <laughs> I just, I thought it's just so good. Just this, like the, 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 the bare facts of the day, of the day to day are just these mysteries, these fundamental mysteries that are just un, un, you know, unapproachable, unsolvable, really. And the other thing I like about that passage that I thought from the whole book was the line, um, which is, gigantic as it was, it had something to do with her. And I feel like one of the things about the book that I felt was like every moment, every interaction, every second of time is imbued with so much like meaning and content right like every you know i've thought so many times like when i was a kid i was just you know i would always think when i was driving down the going down the street in my parents car looking out the window like what the fuck is that person doing right what the yeah. fuck is that person thinking like what is going on in their life and i and and this book i think tries to show a little bit of a window into kind of like address that question like every moment every person is this gigantic fucking titanic web and depth of shit 8 million stories this is just one of them pretty much exactly the, dude the naked city the naked city <laughs> but yeah no i know what you mean it's uh it's profoundly true you know i uh i had i had highlighted something else that seems similar I, I don't know it's when um and i can't remember i'm trying to figure out elizabeth right uh it's clarissa yeah. and richard's daughter daughter who is an interesting like one of the few like prior generate like or not prior uh new generation kind of people um so it's just interesting she's like a, she is, she's a zoomer yeah she's, she's basically, basically the equivalent of a zoomer <laughs> in this book yeah and she's basically like you know she is an, an uh, aristocrat essentially just by class which is uh holds a lot of weight in 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 england but um she is essentially trying to do some sort of the inevitable dialectics of being a kid where you like you know your two input main inputs first are like your mom and your dad and some other people around you's like worldviews and you try and like figure out your own shit and i was having the most trouble figuring out what like what elizabeth was thinking even though you do get a decent chunk of time with right. her as a character yeah because she's with this like weird uh like christian like catholic nanny or born something. again nanny lady yeah Mrs. that's Kilman. that's the Kilman who was referenced to the passage i just read yeah Kilman, and it's like 
it's weird because so there's like the super pious like you know i think uh somewhat cheekily described as ugly <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. woman who's uh like you know she but she's also described as kind of filled with resentment and rage and so her her religiosity is like pretty suspect yes but like elizabeth is also like my mom seems kind of ditzy and my dad is uh he's so he's super nice guy but uh and that's about it yeah i don't know and then there's just like her like she's i forget what she says she just said like uh she's just is like walking around and just thinking really randomly uh and then she, she just just weird stuff like whatever her mother might say to become either uh or no made her quite determined whatever her mother might say to become either a farmer or a doctor but she was of course rather lazy and it was much better to say nothing <laughs> about it it seems so silly it was sort of it was the sort of thing that did sometimes happen when one was alone buildings without architects names crowds of people coming back from the city having more power than single clergymen in kensington than any of the books miss kilman had lent her to simulate what lay slumberous clumsy and shy on the mine's sandy floor to break surface as a child suddenly stretches its arms it was just that perhaps a sigh a stretch of the arms an impulse a revelation which had its effects forever and then down again it went to the sandy floor she must go home she must dress for dinner but what was the time where was the clock like you know what i mean I don't, so I don't know good what, dude i am still the most mystified as to her um her subjectivity i guess yeah like, and, and just all these descriptions of her being like very pretty and like you know re representing potentially a repetition but, or maybe some sort of uh fusion of things i don't know but she's also described like uh, by uh, third parties as being like nothing really like either of her parents right yeah. like she's not she's she looks different kind of it's implied she's described as like oriental which i know quotes bad you know bad term but right um you, you know and being personality wise totally unlike really either of them and so I, yeah i think she's a really fascinating character because she i do think i mean it's reductive but she is kind of like the zoomer because she's also just <laughs> like she's hanging out with mrs kilman and miss kilman is like wants her to think she's cool so bad and she's and she's just kind of like whatever nerd like yeah. <laughs> it reminds, yeah, it reminds me of uh in the last oscar special gabe where tim is talking to matt this is a reference no one's gonna get except gabe but no, people saw Tim it like, yeah talking you know to like a, a young zoomer and just being like so how do you play that game you just you fucking, fucking, fucking kill people bullshit, you fucking, <laughs> like how do you play it yeah and matt's just like you just you just play you just yep. shoot <laughs> and then you win but yeah i don't know if, if we're thinking about all the characters is like a, like a web of like cameras looking at each other i think that her character is kind of like you know it's a it's another camera pointing at the other characters and you're getting a different perspective from this person and you know the value that we hold about the other characters is like so prominent and we're getting all this information but from this younger person the zoomer it like doesn't fucking matter to that person it's right like, these are just old people these are my parents yeah it just it like adds to the web of of uh and I think she talks about being yeah. like not liking the city wanting to like that's why she wants to be a farmer partially right uh to go get out and live in the country and she's not bogged down by uh as just the number of failures and memories that her yes. parents have you know right. like but the, she will get them 
For sure. Yep. Because everyone Oh, definitely. Does. Yes. Oh, baby. <laughs> you know, because that was just it's so funny to think of, like, Peter Walsh and Sally and all them just Richard and Clarissa just hanging out just so much baggage from camp yes camp <laughs> so Tennis much camp so much countryside manor baggage that cold, they're just sitting with cold dry British summer <laughs> <laughs> yeah no yeah it's and, and I think it's so like everything is just so pregnant you know all their interactions all of their like they do, again there's like very little dialogue people do not talk a lot like i think peter and sally probably talk the most of any two characters when they're sitting together at the party and yeah but it's not like super substantive you know what i mean all, all of the content all of the substance is inside these characters heads although i'd say peter and sally i mean they're they're in, they're said to have had you know uh almost a romantically in its own right like intimate relationship but but more just like in terms of being uh confidants to each other right right they, they have a lot of inside jokes that. and yeah uh so yeah i don't know there's kind of that sally seems to be the most happy i would say i can't tell you know because like it's also the other people around her at least at the party are just kind of like shut up we get it you have five kids so it's like I can't. Yeah. You, it's hard to tell whether or not it's Maybe, it's performative, yeah. just like repeating, like, "Look, I have five kids. I'm married to this guy. It's great." Like, oh, especially too, like it's unclear what, to me. Anyway. Like Gabe, when you were saying that she she stayed at the party latest, uh, like you know, last mm. to see Clarissa again. I think it, it, that fact alone points to some sort of dissonance that she's having, and maybe she appears happy because you know, wow, I have five kids. I'm playing the game better than you are playing the game because i have five mm. but like does that necessarily mean that that happiness is ju- like more than just superficial you know I, but i guess it's hard to tell i mean it is it is supposed to like very intentionally like sally was one way now she's another you know that right. doesn't just that right. doesn't tend to just happen cleanly or you know something's underneath that decision um yeah i don't know very burpy today, Paul. <laughs> Sorry, that was my first one, right? Yeah, I don't know. I haven't, haven't, I haven't, I haven't noticed too many. I heard some nice belly noises. <laughs> really? This is what. This my is the problem is with picking this, up some shit, dude. This is the problem with having a sick ass high quality mic. Dude. Yeah, it's just like you really high, have belly noises. Clair, clair, clarity of all of your belly grumblings. Dang. <laughs> no, they're fun. They're enjoyable. It's embarrassing. Um. I had pork chops five days ago. It's probably it. <laughs> the culprit it's just found sitting in your stomach rotting. <laughs> Were there any other um, passages or themes or anything you guys want to touch on? I mentioned the thing about time and, and Big Ben, and I, I I I didn't really know what to make of it. Obviously, I think one of the themes is like aging and and sort of the like going out of out of relevance or the changing of sort of the guard, which I think Elizabeth is kind of doing, and this cro- like this crossroads and. British history at the time and world history. Um, and so I think there's a sense of like kind of counting down or through something, but also then this question of like repetition because they're also repeating their same mistakes and failures and loves and all that stuff in, in microcosm in some ways too. Uh, yeah. I think, I think this novel is incredibly 
I, I think I love it. I think it's incredibly ambitious. I think she was like, especially in the, in the, um, size, you know, I don't, I don't know. Like in the, in the length of the book she's writing, like the amount of stuff she is. Yeah. It's less than 200 pages. It's like attempting to synthesize and discuss. I think she's doing, I think she had read, uh, again, you know, one of the big modernist touchstones, the Ulysses, I think she had read that. Or she like did. And she some... actually hated it. Yeah. Really? She, and I yeah. think, I think this is in part a response to that novel. Um, and I think the length of this novel is in part a rebuttal of the length of that one. And I mm. think, uh, that novel also, um, being in some ways, right. Like one day yes. and, uh, and the banal sort of, uh, day-to-day acts of numerous characters sort of uh reinfusing with the meaning of like an old ancient you know narrative and all this kind of stuff i I think she was keenly aware and if she was critical of that then like this i think in some ways is like i can do something equally ambitious even more banal (laughs) yeah in subject matter yes uh and much shorter and uh i really thought she like undertook something just like intense which was like the encapsulation of a time period and society (laughs) In in a day, in a day, yeah, yeah. Kind of. I think that she was actually a fan of Keith or Sutherland's Twenty Four. <laughs> if she were alive uh, then, whenever it came out, two thousand six or whatever the fuck, two thousand two, uh, then yes, she would have definitely well, wa- binged watched it. My my <laughs> copy is actually like only a hundred and six pages because I got tiny font. In oh wow, book, really? Book. Yeah. Yeah, mine's one of the stupid ones with like eight introductions. Oh god, yeah. Where it's yeah. like I need all these academics to shut the fuck up before I start reading this book. About... Twenty four is actually a direct sequel to Mrs. Dalloway. The the, the original working title <laughs> title was just Mr. Bauer. The original <laughs> title was The Hours. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean of, of twenty four. Jack Bauer. Uh, Mr. Bauer. <laughs> I was I was trying to say it is closed. Twenty four hours. Yes. The, the, the twenty four hours was the original <laughs> book. <laughs> oh god. There's a dirty well, bomb in Los Angeles. You have to get it. Oh, fucking. Of course I can. But you have to stop to buy flowers on the way. Yeah. <laughs> the bomb's hidden in the flower vase. <laughs> I don't know, Gabe. Like. Uh, the the question of time though is definitely an, an interesting one because it, it 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 feels to me like you know it's only it is a day in the novel but time seems to like slow down and speed up and like yes. a minute can turn into something that feels like a half hour you know and it, it it's it's about how much writing she puts into any given moment which is a really interesting idea um a lot of the stream of consciousness felt like the stream of consciousness of a of a kid to me too like a child mm. which i don't know if you felt that way but there was a, a bit of like a, a naive nature maybe that's like too strong a word but there was some sort of childlike nature that i felt about the stream that was like put me back into a place where i felt like i was experiencing time as as a younger person which you is interesting to me because she's you know supposed to be like 45 50 she's 55 or something yeah Oh, okay. I, I was uh, I was thinking of uh, because um, in parts, Septimus, I, I I have no way to confirm this, and I'm not super familiar with this other person's work to know if it's a reference, really. But William Blake, uh, Septimus seemed like he was kind of almost invoking some of, you know, one one of the f- most famous like sort of British prophetic messianic poet oh, yeah. people. 
just as a cultural touchstone, which was already pretty huge prior. Um, and I think I was thinking of the one poem I do kind of know, which is uh, Auguries of Innocence, which uh, has starts. I won't read the whole thing, but like the first uh, four stanzas are, or the first four lines are, to see a world in a grain of in a grain of sand, and heaven in a wild flower, hold infinity in the palm of your hand, and eternity in an hour. The classic. And, classic and i and i i I feel like there's a pretty strong case that she had read that poem and yeah of course you know it rhymes and everything it's a good poem yeah i know i love it i think it's a good connection though matt between septimus and blake because blake was kind of like right on the edge of that kind of like yeah like not even you know like just like he was rewriting the bible essentially right right and thinking is a sort of messianic kind of like prof prophetic figure yeah Right. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I don't know. That's my last kind of, like, uh, connection I made there. No, I think that's probably right. And I, and I think there's just a sense of, like, that kind of epic tectonic scale of time and, yeah. like, life. and, and but, but it's all condensed so much. Like, this is the last passage that I had that I thought about wanting to read. This is So there's a scene where Peter is walking around. And he meets essentially like this kind of like homeless woman who's like singing. You guys remember that scene? Yeah. And um, there's about just a, death or yeah, she's singing about like a lost love who died, and maybe maybe it was in the war. We're not sure. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. But but there's this like amazing like scene, and I'm just reading one paragraph from it. But it just again like just shows how like all of that stuff can be condensed into just hearing a homeless person sing on the street like what random event in a day and so this is peter and it just kind of this isn't it's not clear if peter is thinking this or if this is just like wolf just popping off or what but this is just talking about this. it's woman's, both baby it's yeah, both. yeah exactly it's both so this is talking about this this woman singing through all the ages when the pavement was grass when it was swamp through the age of tusk and mammoth through the age of silent sunrise the battered woman for she wore a skirt with her right hand exposed her left clutching at her side stood singing of love love which has lasted a million years she sang love which prevails and millions of years ago her lover who had been dead for these centuries had walked she crooned with her in may but in the course of ages long as summer days and flaming she remembered with nothing but red asters he had gone death's enormous sickle had swept those tremendous hills and when at last she laid her hoary and immensely aged head on the earth now become a mere cinder of ice, she implored the gods to lay by her side a bunch of purple heather, there on her high burial place, which the last rays of the sun caressed, for then the pageant of the universe would be over. It's <laughs> 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 just like Fuck. this old homeless woman singing. And then uh, just, there, it's Elizabeth just watching a bunch of people, I think, walk up the strand. And then I, I'll just read this tiny little chunk out of context, but I think it's the similar idea of like geological time almost being noticed and and uh comprehended in a way in an instant you know what i mean and she just goes uh this procession would wrap them all about and carry them on as in uh as in the rough stream of a glacier the ice holds a splinter of bone a blue petal some oak trees and rolls them on you know just like invoking that you know that scale of time yes it's cosmic you know it's yeah so Damn, fuck, dude. Dude, fuck, shit. Dude, fuck. <laughs> dude, fuck. Whoa, fuck it. What was I want to know what Wolf was smoking, bro? Dude, let me get some of that. She was smoking. <laughs> she was smoking the original Jewel. Oh my god, yeah. 
Oh, oh God. The what was that, a cigarette? That's <laughs> cigarette. Tobacco. What was that, a cigarette? Um, you know what I think is going to be fun? What's that? Our next segment. <laughs> You're a wizard, Harry. <laughs> nice, dude. Yes, and you kn- and you know it, and you were waiting for it with bated breath. You love it, mm-hmm. and you, you love made it. it this far, dirty little <laughs> segment lovers. And it's uh, we just did read another book, so we're gonna use Harry Potter. Literally, we just did it. We, we just did it. Fucking squibs. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is gonna be a fun one because there's a lot of characters, but they're all pretty distinct. I think so. Yeah. Um. So yeah, let's let's put these characters into some Harry Potter houses, dudes. All right. Where where should we start? Let's do <laughs> Mrs. Dell. No, she's got to be last. She's got to be last. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, what about Robin Williams? Robin Williams. I don't know. That's a tough that one. That face. That face you made. <laughs> All right, let's do Peter. Let's Peter, do Peter. Peter Walsh, Hufflepuff, dude. <laughs> yeah, Puff. Easy clap, Hufflepuff. He's Walsh? Just a, Walsh, he's just a sad boy with just, he's dwelling on, I mean, I don't know. I'm, maybe that's, I'm I'm disparaging Hufflepuffs. I just don't know where else he would be. No, I'd I say mean, not, Richard's a Hufflepuff. Richard is a Hufflepuff. I think they're both Puffs. Is, is, yeah, yeah. Walsh are... Walsh, I think, is a Ravenclaw, but like just a little cucked. What was um? What was Moaning C- Myrtle again, Paul? Claw. She was a ghost. In the I toilets. know, but what house? Yeah, was but she? I think she was a uh, Gryffindor because she was in the the Gryffindor toilet. Gryffindor bathroom. She the loo. The I'm sorry. Toilet. The loo. Yeah. The loo. The, yeah. Sorry. The Gryffindor piss can, I think, is the correct term. I so I think I just confirmed with my wife. I think Moaning Myrtle. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. I think Moaning Myrtle was a Ravenclaw because she at the end. That's right because she helps Harry Let's find Rowena Ravenclaw's. What is it? A diadem, which is what some kind of crown, some sort of crown for a, for a queen. Oh, uh, she is in the Ravenclaw house. I just looked it up. And of course, Moaning Myrtle's very sad and only dr- dwells on the past. So yeah, so I'm gonna call Walsh a like Ravenclaw. most ghosts. I'm gonna go, yeah, Walsh Raven. I know, but he's he's not really like a. Well, he's still like he's still like um, putatively like I, you know the purity of my thoughts, and that's I'm still true. like Secret trying to like whatever. New he considers experience. himself. Yeah, that's true. All right, all right. Sad Ravenclaw for Walsh. I'm changing my vote. Yeah. Me too. Okay. Um, nice. What about okay. what about uh, Septimus Arantia. is Slytherin. Septimus is Slytherin. Septimus is ooh. I think he's a Gryffindor. I think he's Gryffindor. Yeah. Gryffindor? Why do you think he's Slytherin? Make your case. I think he, I think he's good Slytherin. Uh but he he still has uh like delusions of grandeur that like require him to be the only like the center of the world. Messenger of it. Yeah, he is That's true. He is the purveyor of the truth and that's something that can be perverted. That's a good point. Yeah. I'm And also I... it's wrong and then he kills himself. <laughs> I think I'm, okay. <laughs> you know what? I think I'm sold. I'm changing my vote again, dude. Septimus yeah, dude. Slytherin. I'm still going Gryffindor. 
just because he was like his authentic self. Yeah, he was yeah, he was authentic. He was brave for speaking up in a British society in the twenties. But it was because his fucking mind was fucked up. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't like a personality trait of his, really. Well, okay, but we don't know. He was just like a uh, funny guy before him. Good class clown guy. That still points to like you know. Like Harry's dad was a class clown. In That's true. Era, so. That's true. And the Weasley brothers. Yeah, right. class clowns. They're Gryffindor, right? But yeah. what did his older brothers the, also? The twins. Get? That's what I mean. Yeah. I think all the Weasleys went into Gryffindor. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Even yeah. even Winnie <laughs> or Ginny or whatever. Yeah, Ginny is definitely Gryffindor. Yeah. Okay. I think. Ooh, I could be wrong. I think she's Griff. I'm pretty sure though. Yeah, They're this is Griff. the this is the one thing you can't be making these unstantiated claims. I know. I know, I know. <laughs> That'd be a bad look. Okay, what about um, what about uh, Elizabeth, the daughter, the tough one, one of the tough ones? I'm gonna say Hufflepuff. No, strong uh, Hufflepuff. Maybe, but she's not. She doesn't have that sense of like loyalty or like. I mean, she loves her dad. She's very fond of her dad. She loves her dad, and she just wants to be like a like a wholesome farmer. That's pretty. That's true. Yeah, maybe you are right. Yeah, because I like I can't see the the other ones don't jump out at me. No, definitely not. Because she says she's not a Ravenclaw. Because she says she's lazy. She's too lazy to do anything. Yeah, she kind of doesn't care. So. Yeah, yeah, Hufflepuff. I like that. Okay, what about uh, Bradshaw? Slytherin. Slytherin. I kind of, I He's might go, I might go bad Gryffindor. Gryffindor? I would say maybe bad Ravenclaw, but bad Maybe Gryffindor. bad Ravenclaw. I know, but he's yeah. so, he's so like, I know what's best. I've, I've got the right answer, but it's for the good of everybody, you know? But that's why I'm saying, he, that's why I'm saying him and Septimus are two sides of the same coin. And they're Slytherin. Okay, shit. I'm just, <laughs> Matt's Matt's coming with the fucking prep, dude. Matt's on Matt's ready for this fucking segment. That's a good point. I had over a month to, to think about yeah. <laughs> all that cool houses. I'm definitely not doing it right now on the spot. Alright, dude. Bradshaw Slytherin. What do you think, Paul? I'm doing bad Gryffindor. Or bad uh, uh Bad Ravenclaw. Okay. Bad Claw. Um what uh Richard Hufflepuff? Yeah. 100%. Yes, he just goes along like you know whatever. Dependable. Depend. Yeah, yeah. Dependable, just doing his thing. Um, what about uh, Mrs. Well, Kilman? Uh, Retzia. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Lucrezia. Yeah, Retzia. She's. I think she's Hufflepuff too. She's very loyal to Septimus, but she's you know she has her limits. But she also yeah. just kind of wants. She just kind of wants a, a decent life for herself and. She yeah. misses her family in Italy. That's fucking Hufflepuff, dude. Yeah, yeah. Itali- Italians are, are famously a Hufflepuff <laughs> country. Yeah, Ooh, we're just we're gonna get in trouble for that. <laughs> and that's, that's gonna be the there. thing that gets us canceled. <laughs> we're, we're gonna get um, mob hits ordered on us. Um, yeah, Sally. What about Sally? But like, good, good Hufflepuff. Yeah, good, good Hufflepuff. Hufflepuff. Yeah, of course. Yeah, whole, yeah. Sally. I don't know. I'm gonna go Gryffindor. Yeah. I just I feel like uh, she she goes whole hog and in, in whatever she's choosing to do she, I feel like she goes true. she goes hard. She commits. Yeah. I just don't know if if her happiness is I think it just hinges for me on whether or not her happiness is like authentic or or feigned and put on. 
Is that the deciding factor, though? I, mean, I don't know. I feel like it matters somehow. I don't know. I yeah. can't articulate exactly why. But I don't know what she would be otherwise. Well, you mean if it's a craven uh, sort of, like, allowing of just life to dictate for her? Or even or, 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 or even just, like, you know, like the whole, like, oh, I've got five kids. I'm so happy. I'm so happy. I've got five kids. Or even if it's just, like, a way to, personally, for her own self to, like, suppress something that she's uncomfortable with like she maybe she still has feelings for clarissa which is i think kind of hinted at by her behavior at the party and maybe her just kind of like performatively you know saying how in love she is and how happy she is and all her five kids is a way for her not even as a way to perform for other people but for herself to kind of like tamp down some of those feelings i think that she would would have been placed in the Gryffindor house when she was six years old going to Harry Potter kindergarten, as they say. <laughs> but now she's living a Hufflepuff lifestyle. Uh, okay. But I'm going to say Gryffindor. <laughs> I think her personality yeah. points towards Gryffindor. Yeah. And I also, I have to, I have to think, <laughs> I have to change some of my votes right now. I'm putting Septimus oh and Bradshaw in uh, Slytherin. I think I already put Bradshaw in Slytherin. But I'm putting Septimus there because he would be a Death Eater for sure. Yeah. You I think? Can see that. I think he would he would latch on to the Death Eater lifestyle. Yeah, so that's my deciding vote. I think he would be a slit a slith. Welcome, um, to the the right side of history. That's right. Uh, build. I think that pretty Green much build. just leaves Clarissa. We didn't talk about the the most Hufflepuff lame ass character, literally Hugh Whitebread, basically. <laughs> <laughs> I that's he's so like nondescript. I can't even remember exactly what he's doing. He's just like a vague like like member of the British royal house like somewhere and some fifth cousin something, you know. Is he the one that's just as like very good at like uh like he, public speaking? He, so he's, Yeah, he helps Richard write the letter when they're at Bruton's house. And then as payment, he just sort of like leeches off everyone at luncheon. Yes, exactly. Awesome. Yeah. Huff. Huff. All right, the big one, the, the numero uno, the big cheese. <laughs> Clarissa, 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 Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> Clarissa heads out there. What do you think? By by you, I mean Gabe and Matt. Well, I she's the one that I'm is good, going I, to give me the most trouble. I kind of think Slytherin. Oh, what? But Why? but like a re- self-reflective, just because I think that she, you know, ultimately makes decisions. She may question them later and be kind of like, I don't know about all this and be have a little existential angst. But ultimately her decision making, not just in her marriage, which is like the, one of the big things, but in... in you know, ultimately turning away from the the what she views as sort of an authentic choice, jumping out the window in Septimus and going back down to the party. It's ultimately like for her. You know, it's her. It's her. I mean, it's her world, and we're just living in it. And there's also Good just points. the like that that whole black pilled segment about uh, decorating your prison cell, and that's yeah. Like, human existence is. yes that's, that's pretty slytherin it's like the it's like the best aspects of slytherin you know a super like good slytherin a super like fork-tongued accommodating person who secretly harbors some pretty like brutal uh views, views good on views, yeah uh, good 
according to Gabe, good views. No, she's got IG. good takes, dude. Clarissa has good <laughs> takes. <laughs> Decorate the prison, guys. Yeah. Well, well even like Reed Desert, to, dude. Reed to Desert. Married, uh, to marry Richard Dow- Richard is kind of like a Slytherin-y choice yeah. just because I want to, she wants to like have that status. Definitely. And she says as much. She says that a couple times. No, I agree. Yeah. She's Slytherin. I agree. Paul? I agree. Ooh, a lot of agreement here today. I disagree We're with that, up. but. <laughs> nice, dude. And nice. now it's spicy again. Thank yeah. God you saved us. <laughs> Thank God. It's been a boring ass episode. Yeah. Um, Call me Hugh Whitebread. <laughs> I just agree we're not agreeing at all. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think that's basically everybody. Yeah, yeah. all the people fit to print. Uh, we did it. Score what? time. Scoreboard. Yeah, what do we got? I have to. I'm going last, right? I want to go second. Fuck. All right. Yeah. I'll go. Got him. I already yeah. touched my nose and said "does not, not," but whatever. It's fine. <laughs> but I said uh, it before. <laughs> no one can see your um, face, Matt. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, I'm going to have to give this book a 4.37. Nice. Wow. Anything else you want to say about that? Uh, What did you not like about it? Where did it lose... Where did it lose those... You know, 63 points or 53 points. What is that? I can't do math. Good math. That was good. I don't know. I don't know. That's a good question. 63. Like, what keeps me from just saying something is perfect, basically, you know? I mean, whatever. That's a big big question, but... Yeah, I'm I'm not sure. Uh, It's just kind of bloodless. No, I'm joking. Oh, God. (laughs) Uh, you know what? That's a great question. I feel dumb, like I'm stumped. That's okay. I just, it's a feeling. Just, but, uh, just think yeah. on it. All right, Paul. I'm gonna say three point eight nine. What did you not like about it, Paul? We didn't really talk about that. Um, I think I, I I'm gonna sound stupid, but like I did find it like very difficult. <laughs> I don't necessarily like to do to read books like that, but it was obviously enjoyable. Um, but yeah, it's it felt like sifting through a lot of information that didn't make it like just a purely. It didn't have that like pure enjoyment feel to it because mm. it it felt like work, um, which isn't bad, but it does add to my feelings of books. I'm going to have to give it a 4.7 now. Oh, shit. That's a big jump. Because of what I just said? No, I'm just thinking about it. Yeah. Oh. Shit's impressing the hell out of me, dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, er, yeah. That's it. Um, well, you, you, then you kind of, you got, took it out of my mouth a little bit there, Matt, because I felt, yeah, it definitely, basically with a book like this, I'm like, all right, is it 4.5 ab- or under or above? Because yeah. that's because that's where I got to put the star on Goodreads because my life is governed by social media, right? And uh, hard quantifiable and, and numbers I, exactly, and I have to round. So, 
I, it was above for me on the Goodreads scale. It's a five. It's a five stars. But I, on our scale, I think it's 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 like a yeah. It's like a four point six three. Uh, nice. Definitely above the four point five. I, I I really loved it. I can't wait to read the other books that I have of hers. And I think that you know I get why, I get why it's considered kind of a seminal text. And and you know. Everyone should fucking read it. This book is great. I don't know what's like attempt. I guess like one of the things I liked about modernism is was was uh, maybe there was still less of a despairing uh, sense that you could tackle something this huge. Yeah. Novelistically, and maybe I I just don't see that anymore. And I just kind of like it's what makes the modernist stuff feel new to me still even now mm-hmm. in comparison to the stuff written now a lot of the time. I think that's well put. So I don't know. I'm changing my score to 1.7. <laughs> I mean, you're, I, I definitely think it's a it's a it's not an easy read. I would say. I mean, you you can it's. I agree no, honestly, with you there, like sure. I, I I dock at points because it literally gave me anxiety because it's kind of how <laughs> I think, like how how she wrote is kind of, not that I wrote, like think in like poetic prose style, but like the jumping around nature added to my own anxiety, which personally I didn't like very much, but I appreciate. Yeah. So it's, very, I still think I gave it a high score, but. Oh yeah. no, no. And the very like uh, annoying thing happening now because we've just inherited all of this stuff sort of superficially almost a lot of the time where it's just like contradicting whole worldviews just all the Frankenstein, time. just Frankenstein monster worldviews, just bashing each into each other for dominance and like you having to make sense of that to yourself personally. Right. Is a, I feel like a much more common thing than just like these whole cloth and that's, you know, that's still relatable now. The trash bin of ideology, dude. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we're all raccoons. We're all eating from it. Yeah. Uh, so what's up next? Uh, scores? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> next is the fucking the, the like. This is gonna be a one-two punch, dude. We're doing Great Gatsby next week. Yeah. Who? Yeah. My pick. Back to school, everybody. Back to school. The G Gatsby. That's gonna be. That's gonna be great. I can't wait. It's gonna be awesome to read that book directly after this one. Mm. Yes, I, I really like. I think there's a there's a nice fat piece of continuity. <laughs> Uh, between the two so for sure well we'll see y'all then thanks for listening uh go to our patreon page patreon.com slash spinecrackers share that at the beginning it's fine and subscribe to our youtube channel come on yeah just do it just do it leave it's comments, easy you can even like. ignore it but don't yeah don't you don't have to turn on notifications i'm not that person i don't care about that yeah just just give us a sub man oh yeah turn them on or subscribe turn and on. turn them on that's fine and just turn them on also just while you're it. why not you're like, what do you have? Out of your yeah, day? What's like, the worst that could to. happen? The bell dings, and you're like, yeah. oh. ooh, the spine crackers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's oh, the spine crackers. And follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Yeah, we yeah. have it all. We got we it, have all, it all, baby. We even spread. have a Facebook, which no one is not a thing anymore. Right. So if, yeah. If you're drunk on wine in the middle of the day, you're going to want to also subscribe to the Facebook. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, subscribe to our Facebook after you go to your bad book club drinking wine and not talking about And you want to listen to a good book. Yeah. yeah. That's right. Loser. All right. Well, this was real. Yes, indeed. Yeah, it was real. Good bye, talking to you, bye boys. Bye, everybody. Thanks for being here. Bye. And bye, everybody.